0: Unfortunately, our boy Corey LaJoy is officially eliminated from playoff contention due to points. So even if he wins, he can't get in.
1: Unless somebody gets a hundred point penalty. <laughs>
0: Welcome back to another episode of Stacking Denny's. I'm Jordan McAbee of FantasyRacingOnline.com. My co-host, Nick Giffen of the Action Network. We are in the final race of the regular season, but first, Kyle Larson ends up in victory lane after a wild Watkins Glen race that we saw a bunch of strategies, saw them racing in the rain, saw them then switching to slick tires, Ross Chastain causing another wreck, drama between teammates again, According to Jeff Gluck's poll, 92.7% said yes, Watkins Glen was a good race. Number one race of the season so far, bumping Fontana out of that spot, and the number two race from Watkins Glen since the poll started. Nick, what'd you think of that race? What'd you think of Chase Elliott and Kyle Larson's issues at the end? Do you think there's any drama there? This is the second time that something like this has happened, and you know people are going to be making big deal about this and... and Is Will, Chase, Elliott, Payback, Kyle Larson, and all that? Do you see that happening? Because I know I don't, but you never know.
1: Yeah. um, First of all, I think it's really fitting that, right, so the start of the regular season and end of regular season are Daytona. But if you go one race after Daytona 500 and one race before the Daytona race, so Auto Club and Watkins Glen, the two best races of the year in terms of Jeff Gluck's pole.
0: Oh, that's funny.
1: Yeah, that's pretty cool. So we start and end with, like, Daytona, and then best race, and then work our way towards the middle. But, uh, yeah, that uh, was pretty neat there. I thought it was a fucking awesome race. I mean, it was so good. It had everything. It had strategy. It had passing. It had uh, rain to dry, like you said. It had some wrecks. It had superstars uh, like Kimi Raikkonen in the race, who unfortunately got caught up in that Chastain incident. Um, Yeah, that was a a fantastic race. Could have gone multiple different ways i mean michael mcdowell for a little while looked like he was in the catbird seat so mm-hmm. definitely a really really good race as far as the elliott larson thing i think i saw a, a tweet um that i think summed it up best and i don't remember who tweeted it i don't remember the exact wording of the tweet but the gist of it was like look you get two superstars teammates one threw it in there on the other but like it, you know just raced them hard and then they both in the media you know kind of said what they should, like Chase Elliott said, Congrats to him. You know, you could tell he was salty, but he still said congrats to my teammate. And uh, you know, Kyle Larson was like, I regret it, but I, I did what I did and that's good. That's good hard racing. Um you know, I bet Chase Elliott feels miffed because Speaking of the race before or after Daytona, remember the last time these two got together? Auto Club Speedway. <laughs> Auto Club Speedway. I was just about to say that. So, um, you know, that was when Larson didn't realize Chase was there and kind of moved up because he was trying to make his own pass, um, and that and that got you know, Chase like into the wall there. But uh, so it seems like Chase Elliott's definitely gotten the worst end of the deal, which is funny considering Chase Elliott was the one helping Kyle Larson at Bristol last year, the whole Harvick thing. So, um, yeah, it seems like Elliot's been the better teammate of the, of the two, but I don't think it's any big drama. You're not going to see Chase Elliott paying back Kyle Larson. They're, they're teammates. They're both going to race each other hard, but fair. Um, I, I certainly don't think Elliot's going to give Kyle Bo- or Kyle Bush Kyle Larson, uh, you know, just the free freebie, unless obviously Larson's like way faster, but I, I do think he'll race him hard, but I don't think he'll race him dirty.
0: Yeah. One thing I could see happening is, like, any any sort of payback or anything is completely off the table. Like, it's not happening, and anybody that thinks it's going to is just completely wrong. Um, but one thing that I could see happening would be, like, Chase Elliott or Kyle Larson going easy on Chase Elliott at, like, at some point, you know, like, easily letting him by if Chase needed it, you know, more than just being a teammate. Like, I don't, I can't articulate a very specific situation but if it happens we can probably pinpoint that and say okay you know larson that's his not payback but he's allowing something yeah yeah yeah, exactly like yeah but yeah as far as watkins man i thought i thought michael mcdowell was gonna win that thing for sure they had an awesome car and even todd gillen he was up there like that race was i don 't think enough people are talking about how great that race was it yeah. it really was, and even you know you tweeted about it at the beginning of the race with all the rain and, and nascar didn't start it right away because of all the puddles. That was the correct call. We would have we would have had some issues if they would have started that race. I don't care what Kimmy was saying about getting the cars on there. They would have had issues if they didn't have the – not the jet dryers, whatever they're called, um, getting that yeah. water off the track because there was so much water on that track. It, it would have been an absolute mess because, I mean, it was hard to see even, even when they did start it, when they got most of that water off the track. So and,
1: and I'm glad they did because they needed to see what the conditions were like. They needed the driver reports of what the conditions were like. So it was a good thing to send them out there initially – Get them a couple pace laps around and see what the drivers are saying. See what conditions are like. Puddles everywhere, spray. You know, conditions. Shut it down. Clean it up. You know, get it started. You can still restart in the wet. Just you need to make sure that wet was under control so it was a safe race. So NASCAR nailed the decisions. Um, you know, I, I know we're both critical of NASCAR at times. We also got to be like, hey, when they when they do it perfect, they did it perfect.
0: Yeah, and. You know, just looking at the finishing order, really no surprises. You know, A.J. Allmendinger, that was his best. Watkins Glen is his best road course. He finished second. Joey Logano had a great car all weekend, just started mid-pack, ended up third. You know, Chase Elliott, Daniel Suarez, Michael McDowell, Tyler Reddick, those guys have been up front on road courses all year. Even Christopher Bell, he finished eighth despite starting back in 38th. Chris Buescher there in ninth. They had that very slow pit stop, which kind of ruined them. They were running, you know, top five, top seven there for most of the race. And then Eric Jones rounding out the top ten. Not a lot of surprises. Like, uh, and, and we've kind of touched on this quite a bit with the road courses this year where we know who's good. Like there's, there's no, nobody's making gains on these road courses. It, it doesn't seem like it. it's coming down to Larson, Elliot, uh, Redick. And then maybe like guys like Suarez and, and Chastain, um, getting in there and, and, and having speed like they did earlier in the year. But I feel like track house a little bit has fallen off speed wise, you know, Suarez did finish fifth, but we weren't talking about Suarez potentially winning that race. And, and Chastain had his issues, you know, with that whole wreck and everything, uh, ending up 21st. So, yeah, just a great race overall. One of the questions we got, you know, I opened up Twitter questions again this week, and and one question that came through about Watkins Glen, and it's, can you guys talk about how your betting and DFS thought process evolved That was becoming evident that rain was going to be a factor in the race. Um, as far as, like, betting last week, I went, I took Chase Elliott at the beginning of the week, like I said I was going to do, I bet him for the pole, also bet Riddick for the pole. And then after qualifying in practice, uh, Kyle Larson was 550 at Ballybet, and I bet him. Like, those were my only two outright bets because those were the two best cars, in my opinion, speed wise. So the the rain itself did not affect my betting strategy whatsoever, um, except I guess it did with the stage winners because, you know. it just added a level of uncertainty and when they were going to change tires. So I did end up betting uh, whoever won uh, Briscoe. Like I, I bet Briscoe, Lugano, and, and I know you were on in several of these bets as well, Nick uh, Briscoe, Lugano, Harvick, a um, couple other guys. I forget just small bets because they were so long. Like Briscoe was 33 to one to win the first stage. And with where he was starting and his, his, just where he was in points I figured that was a good bet for stage 1 plus you know the whole thing with with tires but as far as DFS goes when it comes to the rain it actually got me off of the strategy of going so heavy on Kyle or Chase Elliott especially in high dollar I was I was very heavy on Chase Elliott and Kyle Larson in my 150 lineups I think I I I did like Exposure wise, like I did a, t- a group of lineups with both of them, and then basically the rest of them I just split 50 50 and then went from there. Um, that's how the rain affected mine. I went more place differential just because I didn't know how, um, how this rain was going to actually affect dominator points. And, and we kind of did see that. You know, Michael McDowell, Chase Elliott only led 29 laps, which only that's still a significant portion of the race but it not the dominating effort that we probably could have saw from him if that race would have started you know with sunshine and everything else did did the rain affect any of your bets um or any of your dfs strategy with, with your article and everything this last week at watkins Glen?
1: i mean i wrote my article the night before so it didn't affect my right. article because no idea if the rain was going to come or not um I was all about Joey Logano in DFS, and I hope people played him because I wrote him up as both a cash game play and a tournament play. The only time all year mm-hmm. I've written up the same guy as a cash and a tournament play. And the reason is I thought he was going to be under owned as a cash game play. And I do think he was, I think he was under owned as a cash game play. Um, and he absolutely slayed it for you. But as far as the rain, it didn't really affect too much. Um, if anything, it hurt me because I tweeted about that Joey hand uh, stage winner bet. And I bet a full unit at like 250 to one and 300 to one or something like that. Uh, somewhere around those numbers for stage one and stage two. And he did finish. It was like fifth or sixth in stage two. He got close. And I actually think the rain hurt my strategy there with Joey Hand um, because it meant he didn't have the option to stay out in stage one when others might've pitted during stage one, uh, right before the caution, because he had to pit during stage one too, to get dry tires, uh, slick tires. So kind of ruined, it actually ruined that bet. Um, and I ended up not making a bet that I was thinking about making. If it ended up raining later in the race, because I wanted to fade. And I I alluded to this, but I never said what the bet was because I didn't want uh, to like move the line or anything. until I really knew what was going on with the weather. But, um, I was looking at Ross Chastain versus Austin Sindrick and Sindrick is God awful in the rain. He's terrible in the rain, but as we saw the race dried up and he moved back forward, um, and so I didn't end up betting it because if it was the other way around, if it started dry and ended in wet, I would have been all over Ross Chastain over Sindric. Uh And, you know, I mean, Ross was moving forward during the rain and then Sindric was fading and it just didn't quite, um, you know, work out in that direction where it ended up drying at the end instead of becoming wetter at the end. So um didn't end up, it, rain really didn't end up affecting anything that I did.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it definitely swayed my my DFS strategy a bit, and that ended up hurting me in the end. But um, like I said, it, it, like the stage winners, I feel like there was a ton of value there at stage bets last week. And I know Greg Mathurin, who we've talked about on this podcast before, who's been absolutely killing it this year in bets, uh, he had Briscoe stage one and Logano stage two. I was not smart I enough to bet.
1: That long. I talked him into the Logano stage two um, because – Logano had, you know, his team had said, "If we don't have a car that we think can win, we will grab the stage points." And obviously, if you're grabbing the stage points, there's a chance you'll grab the stage win by staying out. Sure enough, uh, Logano stayed out, grabbed that stage win to get that playoff point. So I talked him into that one. Uh, very glad I did.
0: Yeah, I I don't know what I was thinking because like I would have had the exact same mind. I just didn't bet stage two. I would have just bet the exact – I I don't know mm-hmm. what I was thinking. That's that's yeah. I'm gonna regret that for a while. But um, but yeah, overall great race at Watkins Glen. One more road course race of the season. But uh, next we have Daytona, ending the regular season, solidifying the 16 driver playoff. Unfortunately, our boy Corey LaJoy, is officially eliminated from playoff contention due to points. So even if he wins, he can't get in. But anybody else that is unless somebody not gets a Lock-
1: hundred point penalty. <laughs>
0: That's okay. <laughs> That's that is possible. That's a valid never, point.
1: Never say never.
0: <laughs> I was just going off the like NASCAR itself posted that he was eliminated and I was like He is barring a one hundred point
1: penalty to like whoever's in thirtieth. Yeah. I don't know if it's like yeah, Gilliland Todd Gillin.
0: Todd Ty, Ty Ty Dillon. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Oh man. But barring that, LaJoy is not going to be making the playoffs, even if he wins, but everybody else has an opportunity, will be in top 30 in points for sure, barring a penalty. Um, But Ryan Blaney going into this race has a 25 point advantage over Martin Truex Jr., which is obviously going to play a big part of the strategy into this Daytona race. We already know that Daytona is super unpredictable. And now you're adding in a fact that can Blaney go conservative? Should he go aggressive? We know that Ryan Blaney can dominate these races at Daytona, and I really want to talk about this because I think it's it's going to be the thing that you know the broadcast focuses on the most is going to be these two. Barring like until the end of the race, and if we get like a Michael McDowell or someone up there, Bubba Wallace um, that could win this race. It's going to come down to Ryan Blaney and Martin Truex Jr., and it's probably going to be on points. Although you could definitely see definitely Blaney winning and possibly Martin Truex Jr. winning. Truex. Tends to have speed here at Daytona. Tends to have speed at Talladega. He just can't get the finishes. But that would be something if he went and won this race. Um, what are like? What are your thoughts on? Because I'm on the fence about this. What are your thoughts on Ryan Blaney and the strategy that he should take going into this race? Because you know, on one side, he has the car. He has the talent to go out there and get stage points and really put the pressure on Truex. And you know go out there and possibly win the race, or he can be super conservative. He can ride around in the back, hope to not get caught up in a wreck. And cause we know these wrecks are going to happen and play that strategy. And then just try to get it on points, knowing that he only has to finish 25 uh, positions behind true. If they tie Blaney gets in unless TrueX finishes second. So, um, you know, Blaney has quite the cushion there for the race. What, like, what do you think they're going to do? Cause I think Blaney's going to go out and be his normal self. He's going to be aggressive. I don't think they're going to try to get off their game. Like wh- I don't think they're going to go and do anything different, but that, you know, I could be wrong. Like, I, I honestly don't know. I'm just going with my gut here. I think they're going to be themselves.
1: I would agree with that. Um, I think there's pretty much no point in being conservative. Cause if, all of a sudden, Truex, you know, gets eight stage one points, and then gets four stage two points, and you don't get any. That twenty-five point gap is close to a thirteen-point gap, mm-hmm. uh, and there's no telling what will happen on the last lap there, or you know, coming down to the to the checkered flag. Even if you've, even if you're still alive, and there's only twenty cars in the race, if you and Truex are both still alive, and Truex is near the front of the pack. There's every chance a wreck happens. You're the one who ends up last out of those 20 cars on the lead lap. You know, um, I I just don't think it makes sense to play it conservative. What's better is if you grab stage one points and you Mm -hmm. grab stage two points and they're 25 points to the good. And there's only 20 cars in the lead lap coming to the end. Then you're okay because you can't lose enough places to Truex at that point. Obviously, though, you're just hoping then that uh, nobody else wins. And that's the thing. Like points almost don't matter. Because what if Todd Gilliland wins? What if Eric Jones wins, right? Like, in that point, there's almost no point in points racing against Martin Truex Jr. Uh, What if Martin Truex Jr. wins, right? Like, um, so the best thing Blaney can do is just race to win. Uh, And I think everybody should be racing to win, Uh, whether it's Truex, whether it's Blaney. And here's the thing. Blaney doesn't need to get pushed to the win. I I hear people talking about like, well, maybe Blaney will get pushed to the win. Uh, I hear people talking about, well, maybe Truex would get pushed to the win. Uh, but why would the, Why would Toyota choose to push Truex over Bubba Wallace, uh, you know, if you're a Toyota driver? Uh, if you're Danny Hanlon, do you push your mm. teammate or do you push the car that you own? I just think you make yeah. it three wide and grab five playoff points. That's what I think. Um, yeah. it, that's what's going to serve you better in the long run. Um, but, I mean, I, there is an argument to be made almost that you would push Bubba Wallace because he's not going to be a playoff contender. Right, like uh, if yeah if you're you know if you're so if you're Denny Hamlin, but if you're Ryan Blaney, getting pushed to the win doesn't do you any good. If if you know um if you finish second and Chase Elliott wins, you're fine anyway because <laughs> Trex yeah. isn't gaining twenty five points on you. Um, and so, even even
0: someone like yeah. even someone like Logano, like he's not going to push Blaney to a win because he wants those playoff points. Those yeah. are going to be very valuable playoff points. Um, I heard so yeah, people I,
1: talking about, like, will Justin Haley uh, uh, you know, get pushed to the win by Noah Gregson and or Daniel Hemrick? No, they need they need their cup wins, too. Right. Like,
0: right, what's yeah. better
1: for your career, pushing Justin Haley to a win or you getting your cup win? The
0: the only the only time like very rarely do you see people actually push to the win. Like I remember uh, when Denny Hamlin pushed Christopher Bell. I think it was in one of the ex- exhibition races in Daytona a couple years ago. Eric um, Jones. It was Eric Jones. Yeah. Beat up the Eric car Jones. Hat. That's that's what I meant. Yeah. Um, I knew the car number. I didn't know the driver. Yeah, the um, or like it, it, if if your car is somehow so bad out in air that you have to be the pusher. That, but even then, you're going to try to make the move on the final after the final turn. Like,
1: yeah, and I mean, the Denny Hamlin situation was super unique because he was a lap down and it was the Clash, and there were, like, eight yep, good yep. cars left in the race.
0: And he was still that fast. <laughs> because because he was, he got, like, he got up. everybody
1: else, even though there were eight cars left in the race or whatever it was, they all were beat up. Like, Eric Jones' car that won was one of the most beat-up cars that's ever won a race. Granted, it was an exhibition again, but still. Like, Denny Hamlin had the car that actually wasn't beat up. He was just a lap down because of things that had happened earlier in the Clash. But, um I mean, you could say the front row motorsports guys back when David Reagan and David Gilliland, you know, Gilliland pushed Reagan to the win there, but that's a really unique exceptional circumstance as well. I mean, you could see something like that where maybe McDowell and, and Gilliland hook up, but how do you choose whether it's McDowell or Gilliland, right? And then even then, given the the Reagan and, and Gilliland thing happened before this current win and you're in thing, I, I don't think Gilliland would have stuck right behind Reagan coming to the line at Talladega had there been a win in your in system, you know? So <laughs> it's it's definitely changed the game where, like, you're not seeing teammates push each other to win in a win in your in system or in the playoff points, five bonus points era. That's just not how it's working. You're going for that win regardless.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of winning your in, we did talk about Kurt Busch last week. We talked about him in the last few weeks. He's definitely out at Daytona, as we predicted, um, which is now, you know, starting and it's going to start even more controversy after Daytona of whether he should actually be in, if he can actually race, um, you know, we both, both you and I have stated our opinions on that, that, you know, the rules are rules. And, and, and he gets, you know, I think what people forget is that those teams get additional money and uh, like awards for making the playoffs. So they're not just going to take him out and replace, like, there's no chance that this is happening. Cause I saw, saw a few people tweeting like, Oh, NASCAR is going to have to make a decision on this. No, they're not. There's 0% chance that they're taking Kurt Busch out of the playoffs. I, I would be more surprised if Cody Ware wins a NASCAR Cup Series race, or I'd be more surprised if that happens more than Cody Ware winning a NASCAR Cup Series race. Like Kurt Busch I is agree. in the playoffs.
1: It, it, and, it's, and yeah. Here's the thing. Even, even if Kurt Busch can only race the last race of the year, there's still some you know like chance he could uh, – and Bob has kind of alluded to this. As long as Kurt Busch can race at some point before the end of the season – he could still move up in the point standings, make the playoffs and then move up there, there's still 16th through fifth place to fight for, even if you don't you know make the championship for because those points end up getting reset each time, and it just comes down to how many points you make during the playoffs. So if he misses five races in the playoffs, but then goes out and wins the next five or whatever, um, you know, he still, even though he'd be eliminated because he he didn't even race the first three races of the playoffs, he still could rack up like five wins and and finish like 12th in the standings instead of 16th, you know? So it's uh, there's absolutely no way they're taking him out of the playoffs unless there's some strange scenario where he announces he's missing the rest of the year, even then, I don't think you can do that because it's still, you know, the, he was the one who qualified for the playoffs based off this criteria. So he should be the one getting the 16th place points regardless. Even if he can't race the rest of the season, he should be getting the 16th place position in the standings.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It, that's, yeah. That whole that whole controversy, there's no controversy there at all. Right. Um Something I noticed today when I was doing a little research, uh, Ford has won the last three Daytona races. And I have to believe that they're going to be competitive here. Um, once again, although we didn't see Fords do great at Talladega this year. Uh, Ross Chastain, of course, won at Talladega. The highest finishing Ford was McDowell in eighth and then Harvick in tenth. Um, but It's just you randomness,
1: think- you know, because the highest finishing Chevy in the Daytona 500 was tenth. It's It's... It's just how randomness works out. Uh, so, you know, I think it's – any, any good team, any good driver, any good car can win, and I don't think it's going to be like, this manufacturer was just kicking everybody's ass, or this manufacturer blue ass. It was it, – it, it just – it's Daytona. It's Talladega. It's super speed racing. Shit's going to mix up, you know, and, and various things are going to happen throughout the race. So we saw Eric Jones and Ricky Stenhouse contending for a win in Daytona, but then the top Chevy was only 10th place Chase Elliott at the end
0: right i still maintain though for daytona speed weeks this year ford had an advantage in speed i still say that
1: yet chevy uh put first through fifth in the qualifying time trials or first, yeah, or out of the top actual
0: drivers, rate right? actual race speed there's difference
1: eh, I, i'm not so sure not so sure
0: hmm. i think so maybe it's just my no bias. i think
1: it was just i think it was just how things worked out um they controlled it you know basically from the start uh because the chevys were, were not organized right they had the chevys the pole sitter has no incentive in the duels to do anything so as long as it starts as long as it starts to look hairy the she- the chevys who are pole sitters in both duel races just back out and that just means the fords can hook up the fords have great teamwork um which is i think what mattered but once the 500 rolled around it, we didn't see Ford just like going to town dominating in the actual 500. I think what we saw was speed weeks stuff. Um, but you know, if you look at like, if you look at stage results, Toyota, Ford, Ford, Chevy in stage one, if you look at stage two, Toyota, Ford, Toyota, Ford, Chevy. So like um the finish. Yeah. It was a bunch of Fords, but that's just, that's just kind of how it worked out. A bunch of the Fords survived and a, and a bunch of the Chevys got, you know, wrecked and, and, didn't have good organization because you had the only Hendrick car left on the lead lap was Chase Elliott. The you had Ty Dillon and Daniel Hemrick, um who and Corey LeJoy and Landon Castle. Like that's not the elite cream of the crop Chevys there.
0: <laughs> I I will mention though that Ford led sixty percent of that race.
1: That's fine.
0: Yeah, that's how it works. You only, know, I mean, that's when the you only have, rebuttal you have, I can say.
1: When you have Joey Logano, when you have Brad Keselowski, these guys are elite super speedway racers. There's times they'll lead sixty percent of the race, but it doesn't mean Ford was better. Yeah. There's also, you know, times when team orders come into play and if you pit under green flag and, and this manufacturer all pits together and they get out in front all together, they're just gonna control the race like that, and it could just be through strategy. So I mean, I agree. I think Ford's looked really good during speed weeks. But I think in the end, once the race is the race, there wasn't necessarily an advantage. And then Talladega, I don't think anybody else had an advantage at Talladega either. It's just randomness. Like, there's going to be wrecks, and there will be good Fords, and good Chevys, and good Toyotas. And whoever ends up wrecking, uh, you know, could affect the balance of which manufacturer does well. If they're even working together at all, if every man is for himself trying to get into the playoffs. (laughs)
0: Correct. Correct. Speaking of randomness, like, like we talk about every time we come to Daytona, come to Talladega, um, anybody can win this race except for Cody Ware um, and David BJ, Starr. BJ but McLeod. Yeah, BG McLeod ain't winning this race either. But, uh, you know, as far as the favorites this week, Caesars especially just kind of threw everyone in as the favorite or threw, like, the top guys in as the favorite. But Chase Elliott, Ryan Blaney, Denny Hamlin all at 12-1. to uh, Joey Logano thirteen to one, Bubba Wallace, Byron, Larson, Chastain, uh, four in that fourteen range. There's really no clear cut favorite. If if you shop around, you can get everyone pretty much there at the, at that twelve range or longer. Um, any any bets that's that's outright bets that have stood out to you. This week is value. I know you bet Noah Gregson 250 to one because you just can't pass up 250 to one on a competitive car with a competent driver. Like we saw this at Atlanta with Corey LaJoy, two hundred fifty one is completely too long. As far as anyone else in the field, I feel like books, you know, they're there's thin, very thin values here. And I have no interest right now in betting anything as far as I, an outright winner.
1: I haven't made an outright other than the Gregson one because it was 250 and now the longest you can get him is 200. I think there, you could bet Gregson and, and Todd Gilliland at 200 to one at points bet. Um, you know, but Daniel Hemrick, 200 to one at uh, Caesars. But I mean, maybe I make that Hemrick bet. Uh, I, I can't bet on Daniel Hemrick. Forget that. No, I'm not betting. on Daniel. <laughs> Hemrick. Um,
0: I was about to call you out. <laughs> uh, yeah.
1: Yeah. No, I, I Honestly, though, I don't think Daniel Hemrick 201 is a bad bet. I just can't stand Daniel Hemrick, and I think he's a terrible driver. Um, but, like, Noah Gregson, he's aggressive as hell. He's going to go for the win if he has an opportunity, and he's in that beard car that, you know, uh, Brendan Gaughan would always drive that was very competitive. He had a lot of good finishes. So, yeah, why, why can't Noah Gregson win at 250-1? to um, We've seen – Michael McDowell win before. We've seen Front Row Motorsports win before. Why can't Todd Gilliland win? I mean, he did great at the Daytona 500. So uh, 200 to one. Yeah, I can I can definitely throw a bet on those guys at 201. I really liked the 250 on Gregson though. Um, but yeah, right now there's nothing else. There's absolutely nothing else. I know people are going to say, oh, Michael McDowell 40 to one. No, dude, we were getting them 100 to one when he won the Daytona 500. We were getting him 60 to one earlier in the year for these super speed races. That's what he should be. He should be down there. He's not – just because he's had some good finishes doesn't mean he should be a favorite all of a sudden. Um, I I don't think Michael McDowell 40-1 to is a good bet. I don't think, uh, you know, just a lot of these popular – I do think maybe um, Chris Buescher 40-1 to was okay, but even then I don't like it because I don't think he's aggressive enough to win. Well, he won his duel. Well, it was the duel. It was the duel. I've never seen the guy go out and just take the lead in an actual full-field race when everybody's racing hard for – things that actually matter. Um, he yeah, is he's perfectly second.
0: fine with finishing seventh. Like that's yes. what frustrates me so yeah. much with Chris Busher.
1: Exactly. So the guy just doesn't have the right aggression in my opinion. Um, Ricky Stenhouse Jr. At 30 to one, maybe I might consider that, um, you know, Eric Jones at 35, I might consider that, but all of these are considerations right now. Uh, I haven't bet anything. Nothing like jumps off at like, I have to bet this, like Jones 75 to one earlier this year for the Daytona 500. Um, There's absolutely nothing that just jumps off the sheet at me. It's like, this is a great value. I've made one outright bet. It's Noah Gregson, 250 to one. And I don't even love it. It's just like, let's throw 10 bucks on it or something, you know, 20 bucks, whatever I put on it just to, you know, to have something at this point, essentially.
0: Exactly. And uh, there were a few bets, you know when the lines opened, you know, got Todd Gill and uh, Harrison Burton that both opened at 10 to 1 for a top 10 on DraftKings. If you were quick enough to get them, you know, you were able to get those 10 to 1. I like those bets. I know I know you talked about them. I was not able to get over to Indiana quick enough to get those. Still irritated about that. But, you know, even like someone like uh I think I bet Landon Castle for a top 10 at 15 because spire car like I'm I'm willing to bet I I bet him 300 to 1 as top or top chevy too like uh, because it's just it's fun to have long action like that and i'm just i'm just assuming i'm going to lose that 15 or 20 bucks that i th- absolutely like, yeah you know i'm not expecting that's... Noah
1: gregson to win i'm not expecting Landon castle to get top chevy i'm not expecting date uh i said david ray right? uh cody Ware to get top forward or whatever um not expecting these things to happen i'm just betting them because the probability that it happens is greater than the odds we're getting but Yeah, and you're right, those 10 to 1 bets um, for top 10s, I made those. Uh, I didn't get a chance to tweet them because I was waiting for the Action app to, uh, you know, the Action app doesn't update right away when lines are released. So, um, you know, for those who are show me the ticket, if they hit, I'll show you the ticket. Uh, But I got, what was it? Gilliland and Burton, 10 to one top tens. Those are the two I did grab. And, and, and you know, I got those cause I notified you about them, um, over at DM. Yep. <laughs> so, yeah,
0: as soon as you did, as soon as you said it, I, I like, I didn't run out the door cause I don't run, but I quickly walked out the door and started racing to Indiana. And I got about five minutes away from the border before, you know, you, you messaged me again. And you're like, Oh, they moved to, I think they moved to seven and they moved to six. Yep. I was like, damn it. I, miss the boat on those but yeah I'm actually perfectly fine this week and we were talking before we started recording this I'm perfectly fine with not having any bets this week Uh, assuming that nothing shifts majorly after practice or after qualifying there's no practice this week I'm just so used to saying practice I there's nothing nothing that I like outside of the the ones that I mentioned and just because they're you know I think there's a little bit of value there but yeah I can't I can't recommend any bets this week which sucks because Daytona is always fun to bet
1: but it, it's a DFS kind of week then you know and, it, and absolutely but like oh yeah so the only other thing is I did get one really good bet in and it is an outright bet uh, but it's only specific to where I live uh, this sports book is is in the area I live in and I got the field at 20 to one. And that field includes 15 drivers. It includes Eric Jones, Michael McDowell, Chris Buescher. Um, it includes Justin Haley. It includes uh, Ty Dillon. It includes Cole Custer, right? Some good cars in there. Uh, yeah. Uh, Hemrick Gregson, Gillen Burton. You no, know, it includes all those guys back there in the odds. And I put a very substantial bet on it. Uh, So for again, for the show me the ticket crowd, if it hits, I will show you the ticket. Uh, But I put a very large bet on that one um, because it shouldn't have been 20 to one. Eric Jones himself, uh, per my model and per Jim Sonis' model, should be about 20 to one. So it's nice to get Eric Jones plus 14 other drivers. Now, like I said, Eric Jones is 35 to one. I definitely think you can bet that, but I don't need to now because I have him as part of a a field bet at 20 to one. Um, But I do think Eric Jones at 35, if, if I, if you were like, Nick, you have to make one bet and one bet only on an outright. I would bet Eric Jones 35 to one. Um, And, and I I would feel good about it because I, my model showing its value. Jim honest model show its value. Uh, We both have them right around 20 to 25 to one as fair value. So to get them, 20 to one plus 14 other drivers was a steal that line. I single handedly moved that line from 20 to one to eight to one. And then it has been bet down even from eight to one to four to one. So it's not a, it's not a situation of Kevin Harvick, hundred thirty to one bad line, uh, whatever. No, this was just a, a book, not knowing how to price the field.
0: Yeah. That seeing what drivers were involved in that, it it makes no sense. That was that was a great bet. And hopefully hopefully it hits it. Like you said, Eric Jones has been really good. You know, if you I don't know how much you're taking into account Atlanta, uh the two races at Atlanta this year, but I feel like there's there's some weight there because it's just more data with this new car at a super speedway race, even though, you know. We both agree Atlanta is a little bit different than Daytona and Talladega, but still has the has the aspects of a Super superspeedway race. You know, Eric Jones eighth in green flag speed in the Daytona five hundred this year. Um, at Talladega, he finished sixth. At Atlanta one, he finished uh, seventh in green flag speed. Atlanta two, he finished fourth. Like Eric Jones, he's he's won at Daytona before. He can do it again.
1: Like yeah, mid- I definitely am de-weighting Atlanta because you do see handling come into play much more, even so than Daytona. Um, you saw those like like those mid-lower tier guys, like your Hemricks, your or Gregsons, or um, Gillilands and Burtons. At both Atlantas, they kind of just rode around and back because it still has that one-and-a-half-mile aspect. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I modeled it like a blend of super speedway and mile-and-a-half, and it turned out to be a pretty solid model. This one I'm modeling just as pure Dega Daytona, so I'm very de-weighting Atlanta because I think guys like Todd Gill and, and Ty Dillon and, and you know, et cetera, can do better here. Even, like, Chris Busher and Kozlowski looked like ass in both Atlanta races, you know? They just weren't good at Atlanta because they're in RFK cars that just aren't the best at intermediates this year. So that was, a like, kind of what I noticed. And, I mean, even the drivers themselves were like, this is a blend of a mile and a half. Like I remember Bubba Wallace said it after the first Atlanta race, this is like a mile and a half and a super speedway blended. Um, yeah. And Bubba Wallace had a terrible car. The second Atlanta race, like it's that is like handling matters so much more track position matters so much more. It's not like your Corey, the joys can't contend because Corey, the joy did contend, but he got track position through strategy and then was able to keep it there. Track position. Isn't going to be as important at Daytona. Um, It'll be, it'll be more important than it is at Talladega because it's just, it's a little bit smaller, a little less banked, and a little tighter than Talladega, but I mean, we saw the first Daytona race guys like Todd Gillen were mixing it up right from the start, and Harrison Burton mixing it up right from the start, was in position to have a great stage one finish until Keselowski decided to be Keselowski and wreck the field like five times that race, so yeah, um, that that's I, I just think you know a guy like Eric Jones, thirty-five to one. He's proven it all year at super speedways. He's proven it in the past at super speedways. Having Atlanta is kind of like you know icing on the cake. It's like a nice bonus.
0: Yeah. Um, and I know just looking at your bets on the action app, you bet him for a top five, five to one. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Um, let's talk about DFS strategy with Daytona because. This is one of my favorite things to talk about. And obviously you your history on Super Speedways in DFS is one of the most impressive, if not the most impressive on the board. Um, and there are so many opportunities this week. you know we got several tweets, you know, you do stack the back, do you stack a manufacturer? I understand the strategy of stacking the back, but you're not going to take down a big GPP by stacking the back. It's just not going to happen. You you need to do more than stack them. You, you actually have to have a strategy. And one thing I've learned over the last few years um, is definitely, like, obviously, ownership comes into such a huge factor here at DF, at Daytona and Talladega when it comes to DFS and when it comes to being able to get leverage on the field. You look at the Daytona 500 this year. Todd Gilliland started 29th. He was 8.8% owned. You were on him. I was on him. I was We were both really heavy on him. He was running top 10. Yes, he wrecked out. Didn't end up being a great pick. But theory-wise, great pick to be very overweight on. We go to Talladega, and he starts uh, 32nd. And I'm thinking, you know, maybe people are going to remember Daytona. He's going to get a significant bump in ownership. He ends up at 12.9% ownership at Talladega, starting 32nd. The point I'm making here is that the general DFS people population and people that are playing this are still stupid, and you need to take advantage of that. because they're, I'm not saying there are definitely going to be big names that start in the back, but there's a good chance that there's going to be big names that start in the back, and they're going to get a big ownership bump because of that. Chris Buescher started 30th at Talladega. He was 40.5% owned. Noah Gregson, Todd Gillins. Corey LaJoy started right behind him, 31st, 32nd, 33rd. Technically better DFS plays because they have higher ceilings, being able to get one to three more position place differential points. If if they move up, and Gregson was under 10%, Gilland was 13%, and LaJoy was 18%. Like It just blows my mind that people are... Like this, and I feel like the best thing that, like, the best strategy that I can say when it comes to this ownership is look specifically at the races this year and see how people are doing and what they're doing, what they've done so far this year, because it becomes super easy to predict, especially the, the, the second Talladega race. It becomes super easy to predict what ownerships are going to be. I think last year my projections on ownership were all within one or two percentage points for every single driver because there is a pattern. And then when you throw in the fact that it, like uh, David Reagan, who finished, what was it, like top 10 in the Daytona 500, he ended up at 23% ownership at Talladega because of that. It is, it is just whatever people think, recency bias, whatever you want to call it. My point here is very predictable and and the situations like this you know when you get Chris Busher and he's at 40 percent owned and you have Gregson Gill and Lajoy that are less than half every single one of them less than half some of them a quarter less than him you can easily flip this and go have go 20% Busher and go double on Gregson double on Gill and double on La- Lajoy and have a significant advantage over the rest of the people in DFS with the very similar upside, it, it, it that is such a strategy in DFS. And yes, if they wreck and if and if Busher, you know, ends up top ten, this isn't going to work. But the fact of the matter is, Talladega and Daytona are so random; we cannot predict these races. So that's the strategy to take because it's it's going to work out probably more often than not. I would say.
1: Yeah, definitely, and there, and and as you, and you're you're obviously you know this, and I'm, I'm not saying you're oversimplifying things, but there's a little more to it than that. Not just flipping the ownership percentage, but and, and I'm gonna do a little plug here. Uh, Action Network owns Fantasy Labs. The Fantasy Labs optimizer is super for this because another thing mm-hmm. I like to do is yeah, I'll flip these ownership percentages, but that means I'm gonna be overweight on Todd Gill and I'm gonna be overweight on Harrison Burton. I'm gonna be overweight on Noah Gregson. I'm gonna be overweight on Daniel Henry. I don't want to play all four of them in the same lineup. So I choose this like lower mid tier. If they're all starting back in the late twenties and thirties, you know, your Ty Dillon's, et cetera, that whole gang. And I limit it to like no more than two or three. And there's ways you can do that in the action network or sorry, the fantasy labs optimizer. you can say, you can just pick groups of drivers and make a rule that says at most two of these drivers. Right. So that way I'm not getting lineups where I have like, four or five of those guys because you still need good finishes you can't have five guys coming from 30th to 10th through 15th and win no you still need drivers that are going to finish inside the top 8 10 6 etc um and those are going to be those guys that you're sprinkling in from the the lower 20s and the teens and and occasionally in, in the top 10 starting position um what I also will say is I've seen people like railing against stack the back. Um, and I still think that's wrong. I mean, if you look at the last several Daytona races, it's mostly been from the back. Uh, last several Daytona, I should say summer races, um, not the 500, but some races. It's still mostly been from the back. That's just how it is. You're mostly going to have drivers starting 20, 25th or worse yeah. that get in so, the optimal lineup and you're going to have a few in the 10s.
0: We need to define stack the back because when I hear stack the back and I hear other people talk about it, they're saying, like, play all the shit boxes, like the guy starting 30, 40th, 39th, 38th, 37th, 36th. And I am, I am wholeheartedly against that in tournament-style yep. action. Absolutely. I have, But, yeah, as far as, like, stacking the back going from 25th or worse – Yeah, I like you have like that. Yes, that is a very good strategy. Like, I I don't think that's going to, like I said, I don't think that's going to take down the big GPP, but it can definitely easily cash.
1: Yep. 100%.
0: But yeah, you like you look at you look at Talladega, you know, talking about these guys starting in the late 30s. The highest finishing guy that started outside of the top 28 was LaJoy, who finished 14th, and then Castle, who finished 19th. Like the top finishing guys at Talladega started 19th, 14th, 12th, 5th, and 2nd. So yeah, like finishing position is still a little important. And and I include this graph with my, with every super speedway race that we have. And it kind of breaks down where, like how a driver is going to, what are drivers going to score just based DraftKings points, not taking into account laps led or fastest laps because fastest laps are going to be all over the place. Like there's no predicting fastest laps really very like nobody's going to get a significant amount of fastest laps is what I'm saying. But a guy like it, it shows the importance of the uh place differential and, and where kind of that line is on when it makes sense to creep up into the, the top guys. And we all have like our own strategies and depending on who starts where, um you know, how much exposure we want to have to a guy like, you know, if, if Ryan Blaney goes out there and starts seventh, like, yes, he's probably going to, he's a better play than if Cody Ware goes out there and starts seven, like, you know what I mean? Like, and that just, that's how your strategy changes. But yeah, as far as like, like DFS though, like I, I was oversimplifying it before, but I, there are just tons of situations like that where you can, um, gain leverage on the field. And, And I know like, that's, that's how you've, you've ran your DFS super speedway, uh, strategies ever since you started playing. Like yep. you're taking advantage of other people. I I, I want to say overreacting
1: yeah, or exactly
0: being, it, being too heavy. It's heady. a
1: lot easier. And I say this, I think every time, but it's a lot easier to predict what everybody else will do than how the race will go. Right. Yeah. And so when, if, if everything was compl- let's say just type let's say everything was exactly completely random. Then every driver would have an equal chance of finishing in every spot in the field. We know that's not the case. But there is a very high degree of randomness. There's something like 80, 85%, 90% randomness in finishing position at super speedways. Uh, even from like the best statistical models. So let's just assume everything's 100% random. But if we know people are going and to... And again, I'm making a really absurd point. But let's say we know Ryan Blaney is going to be 100% owned. Why would you ever... Uh, I, you you should be the guy that doesn't play Ryan Blaney, right? Because everybody else is going to play mm-hmm. him, and he has an equal chance of finishing anywhere from first to fortieth. Yeah, it might be he finishes first, but there, there's like there's a massively huge chance he doesn't finish in a spot that doesn't help you in DFS. But human behavior doesn't work that way. Human behavior, uh, I should say, human behavior is biased. Human behavior thinks good driver, high salary, need to use up my cap, you know, whatever. So they play way too many uh, lineups with guys starting in the mid pack and up front. Um, and uh, that's just human nature. So you need to eliminate biases for any driver. What you actually need to do is study where you think the biases are going to be and go against those. Um, and, and it's a whole lot easier to predict the human behavior than it is to predict the race. And you even proved this, like you said, you know, your ownership projections were within a few percentage points on most of the field. That means we're predicting human behavior. And, and you know, I bet if you pl- plotted a, a graph of predicted ownership versus actual ownership, it'd be R squared 0.7, 0.8. Instead, we're getting R squared 0.1 or 0.15 or 0.2 at best on the finish. So a whole lot easier to predict human behavior than it is to predict the outcome of this
0: race. Mm hmm. And, you know, you mentioned like, just to just to point out, like how personally how I go about weighing if you're if you're trying to weigh the out, like the predicted outcome of the race versus the predicted um, what other people are going to do and, and do your strategy that way. Like you mentioned the Fantasy Labs Optimizer. I love using the Fantasy Labs Optimizer. Like you talked about all the rules you can create, the player groups, the player correlations. You can do all of that. Like you. I spend most of my time making lineups, setting all of these player correlations, player groups and rules. And then there's, you know, like range of outcomes and basically just making shit random with your lineups. And I, I turn those all the way up. Like that's how much I do not care. I want to get ownerships of my guys to certain levels, but I don't care I, it's also random that I'm also going to play at random when I'm when I'm making a ton of lineups, and then I'm just going to adjust based on the ownerships and all the, all my rules. But yeah, like I, Fancy Labs Optimizer for for Super Speedways especially is just phenomenal. I can't say enough good things about it. Yeah, I know, I mean, I'm going like, to
1: create probably like I'm going to max out the 350k engineer. I'm going to max out the 20 max entry probably um i'm gonna max out the lug nut which i think is 150 entries uh i'm going to max out um let's see uh probably the mini max or the the happy hour is 20 entries so i mean we're already looking at 340 entries just between the lug nut the chrome horn the engineer and the happy hour um and then if there's a mini max am looking at for you know 490 let's say 500 entries I'm going to create 500 different lineups. Cause even if I win the mini max and I lose all the rest of my entries, I'm almost breaking even. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm creating 500 unique lineups and I'm just going to randomize them and say, randomly these go lineups go into these different contests. I'm, I'm not biasing it towards any one way or the other. Um, but I'm going to create 500 unique lineups with the fantasy labs optimizer, uh, and, and throw them into all these different contests because as long as one of them hits in one of these tournaments, I'm going to have a great day.
0: Exactly. Um, oh, one thing, you know, you mentioned people, like especially people new to DFS or, or don't really know much like the difference between super speedway and regular races. It's it's DFS nature and, and not human nature, but like human DFS nature, I guess, to use up like most of your salary cap. Do you have like a max amount of salary cap that you use when creating these lineups? Because I'm pretty sure that it's not like you, you. You can set it to use a max the the optimizer. You can set it to use a max salary cap percentage. Um, is there any number that you don't go over, or are you?
1: Yeah, where, I mean, where are you at on that? Theoretically, you shouldn't lower your max, but because we know we're going to see lineups of people tend to use everything. Um, it just makes more sense strategically to drop that. So I'm not going to go above 49,500. I think I might have a 49,500. I might have a, uh, somewhere in that neighborhood. You know, I, I tend to set it different each each race just because uh, I don't know. I don't want it to be super predictable what I do, but um, it's going to be in that range where I still think you can have some lineups that are over 49,000. I just don't want to be having $50,000 lineups because people do that. They they don't lower that number and they, and they use optimizers, but they don't use optimizers in the right way. And then suddenly they're building all these lineups that have 49,000, 49, 49, because they're an optimizer is meant to optimize, right? So if you don't know how to use the optimizer correctly, it's going to optimize. And it usually will be saying, okay, how many points can I fit under this 50 K cap, which means you're tending to use most of the salary. So, um, And people are hand building like to use salary. They have a hard time be like, God, I could, you know, I could switch over to Martin Truex Jr. here instead of uh, Cody Ware or something, you know, or David Reagan. And so it's just human nature to not want to have a thirty seven thousand one hundred dollar lineup or something. I think there was a Talladega race many years ago. It was like twenty fifteen or sixteen, where the optimal lineup was like thirty eight thousand one hundred dollars, and I think it had something like jj yaley in it and you know like absolute shitbox of shitbox cars and still in the optimal lineup like it's okay to have that like i might create a rule where you know cody Ware, bj mcleod and and maybe that's it are uh you know at most one of those two is in one lineup although you could say there's some correlation there where if there's just absolute mass carnage and neither of them are in it then they could finish like ninth and 10th or something. You know, so there yeah. may actually be some correlation there. But uh, the point is, like, I don't want to have a ton of lineups with BJ McLeod and Cody Ware. So I'll tend to set them as like a group and then say max of one in a certain percentage of lineups. Maybe I'll create like of my 500, maybe I'll create like 450 where I have that rule. And then there's 50 where I say, well, you can have up to two of them. And that doesn't mean yeah. they'll be in 50 lineups. It just means of those last 50, it's possible for the optimizer to sprinkle them in together, um, type thing. So I, I you know, there's, you also need to understand how to use the optimizer. I think that's one thing people will be like, Oh, I got this optimizer. and I just ran it, but they don't actually know how to properly use it. And so there's a lot to DFS strategy, not just making good picks, not just making good ownership percentages, but understanding how to correctly diversify your lineups as well to correctly structure your lineups. So you don't have five drivers of Todd Gilliland, Noah Gregson, Harrison Burton, um, you know, David Reagan and Michael McDowell or something in, out of your six cars. Uh, like you don't want that. <laughs> so, um, yeah. And I just think that's, that's one thing. and, and one of the things I did for the Daytona Five Hundred because we saw, uh, what, or we thought—remember, we thought during the with the new car for the Daytona Five Hundred speed weeks—we like, we're like, man, these are just gonna be like these single file trains where these cars just drop off because we saw that in the duel, we saw that in the class, uh, not the clash, but you know, in practice and stuff. That yeah. just didn't happen in the race, so I was setting these like team stacks. Fuck that! I'm not doing like team stacks. I'm not even worrying about team correlations this week. Not worrying one bit. I understand, but the playoffs—I don't care. I just I'm don't say care.
0: what about because I, I remember one of your rules specifically. I forget if it was da- Daytona or Talladega, but you were talking about Toyotas just mm-hmm. because there's not many Toyotas in the field. So you thought they're more likely to work together. So you kind of wanted to make a rule where if if it includes one Toyota bump, bump up the others up the, by 15 Yeah, exactly. Is that still in play or, or are you no. are you throwing that out as well?
1: I, I didn't. I, yeah, I didn't even do that for Deca or anything, um, but i'm not I don't even remember if I played talladega I don't think I did just because I hated the starting lineup for that or something um but hundred percent playing yeah, Daytona my
0: ass kicked at Talladega.
1: I am one hundred percent playing this daytona um I loved my Daytona five hundred strategy and construction obviously I lost money because all I did was max under the millimaker I don't think I played any other lineups um I may have played like one or two or three other lineups in some other contests, maybe i I honestly don't even remember but Pretty much, I think I played 150 lineups in the Millimaker, and that was basically all I entered. So when 1 million out of the $2.25 million prize pool goes to first place, you're going to lose money if you don't hit, like, a top seven lineup. (laughs) Or unless, like, you're really bad at diversifying and for somehow, magically, all your lineups end up, like, in the top 150 or 200 places, then then it means you had a bad strategy and you got lucky. Um, But, you know, the point is... I thought my strategy for the Millie Maker was perfect. I wouldn't have changed a thing other than I would have had a little more David Reagan. Um, It was the one thing I would have changed. And I absolutely loved my Millie Maker strategy, feeling very good about where my brain is at with super speedway races. I know I only play DFS a couple times a year these days because I just don't want to go to the other states where I can play it instead of always being stuck in this state where i can't play it so um it, you know betting is the better option for me at this point in my life and in my career situation and and all that but damn, there's absolutely money to be made in these super speedway races
0: yeah you talked about the the payout percentage and or the payout structure of the millie maker even even this this week's big gpp i don't i hate this payout structure and it's one, I mean, I'm still irritated that they did not change this contest for Daytona at all. Like, this is—is is this the final GP or the final race before the start of NFL season? Or the, there might be two more. But to leave it at the same as Watkins Glen, and this thing—I feel like this thing has filled. Like the last, however many weeks, the end of the regular season, it's Daytona. Like you know, this thing's gonna fill. But I still hate—I hate the payout structure. 100,000 obviously if you win first like yeah you're going to love the payout structure but to come in 10th and only win a grand I I just hate that. Um going back to David Reagan, though, he's going to he's in that Rick Ware racing car and I, I I'm pretty sure that's why I didn't like like I was I didn't not like him. I was unsure of him at Daytona earlier this year because he was in that Rick Ware racing car. Um we all we we know David Reagan get around super Speedways like he's won it before he, he's always done well ended up finishing eighth at Daytona he also ended up 18th at Atlanta and 24th at Talladega um so do you think the cat's out of the bag with David Reagan and he and, and that's someone that could go over owned? like I said at Talladega when he's, cause he's he started 34th, 35th 36th um in the super Speedway races this year and at Talladega he ended up you know, 23%, which is kind of like I, I would want to be underweight then on David Reagan, just just as a, a relative example here. Um,
1: yeah, what was he at for the Daytona 500? What was his ownership? I think it was under 10% maybe.
0: Yeah, his ownership for Daytona 500 was 9.46.
1: Yeah, and I think I was right at like 10%. I, like, I think I was like equal weight to the field. I would have loved if I had been like 16%, you know, like one out of six lineups. I would have loved that on David Reagan. And I think I had love that again. So if he's going to be 23% owned, I want to play him 16%. If he's going to be 10% owned. I want to play him 16%. I just think like 16% is like kind of the optimal number on like a guy like David rig.
0: Yeah, he, he's definitely one of those. So like, like I said, he was under 10% at Daytona Atlanta. He bumped up to 14% and then Talladega, he was at 23. So, um, definitely, you know, that's one of those specific examples, uh, uh, of wear strategy and you know it's it's hard to say now because qualifying hasn't happened i'm just going to assume that he qualifies in the back again yeah but, and part um, of that
1: also where i didn't love david reagan for the daytona 500 is because of what we talked about with the new car we thought maybe like the last driver in the line would just drop off and lose the draft and i thought yeah well those wear cars are or or you know those types of cars are going to be the ones that do it well that didn't end up being the case so um you know i i definitely think he's a guy that and it sucks because, like, if chaos doesn't happen, David Reagan's probably not he, – he can, but he's probably not driving from 25th or 30th in the last few laps up to 6th or 7th or 9th. Again, he can. He's just probably not. So if it's, like, a, more of a tame race, we don't get those wrecks, it sucks to have him in, like, 1 out of 6 or 1 out of 5 lineups. You'd rather have him in 1 out of 10 lineups, but – then you are probably 200 under because it's the race is probably just a whole lot more likely to be chaos than not.
0: <laughs> and that's that's what's hard to tell. Like we know how these races can play, can play out. We know the potential for for chaos. There is also the potential that I weigh every single time that we we come to Daytona or Talladega. Like, what if this is finally the one that's super tame? It rarely happens, but you know Daytona earlier this year, fifteen cars on the lead lap. So when you have that, even if you are in a shit box. You can get to the top ten with a last lap wreck, or even just like those cars can, are, can be good enough just to pass, you know, themselves. Like mm-hmm. you don't necessarily need a wreck; you just need to survive until the final restart. When you come when you come to the final green flag, or, or what would be the final green flag with fifteen cars on the lead lap, you know, that's that's kind of where the shit boxes really thrive. You know, yes, in, in DFS, yes. is when they can survive, and that's why I, that's why I like guys like Landon Castle this week because he tends to do that. Corey Lejoy tends to do that. They hang out in the back, they avoid the wrecks, and then they get. The, and then if there's a ton of carnage, they're there at the end, and,
1: and yeah. that's exactly
0: why I like those guys.
1: Landon Castle's so weird because people think of him as a good like super speedway racer, drafting racer, because he survives, but he doesn't finish very well. He has one top 10 ever in cup ever it was a fourth place at Talladega, but his best after that is an 11th at Talladega an 11th at Talladega an 11th at Daytona, a 12th at Daytona. Um, so like he can get those 11th and twelfths, which are probably good enough in this car, but they might not be occasionally um, that 14th at Talladega, you know, like it's, it, he's so weird in that he survives a lot, but he does doesn't push into that top 10 and he's not like just, a Corey LaJoy. No, he's not a Corey LaJoy. And he, and he's in the inferior car. I honestly think that 77 just doesn't get as much attention and love as the seven car. Um, we saw this with Blicky. We saw this last year with anybody who's in the 77 just seems to struggle. Justin Haley, you know, and it, it, it's, I think it's just a thing that the 77 just doesn't get the love that the seven does. But He still can, right? Like, he still can finish in the top 10, especially if the race is massive carnage. It's possible. Um, I mean, I liked Jasper at Atlanta, so I have to like Atlanta Castle at at Daytona. It's just one of those things where it's like, you hope this is the time, but the results just have never been there for him, Um, which is so strange because he does survive. And then we're celebrating his 11th place finish, not his 6th place finish. You know what I mean? It's weird. Yeah.
0: Speaking of guys like Justin Haley, Corey LaJoy, um, when it comes to specific situations, those are the guys that I I want them to qualify like 23rd because then they're going to go so under Justin Haley is so good at super speedways. He is ridiculously good at super speedways. And even here at Daytona, he I mean, he won in that 77, ironically, back in 2019 with the rain. Um, 13th in 2020 in the Daytona 500. 6th. Uh, last year in the August race and then 23rd here this year with colleague. I love Justin Haley on super speedways. And if he doesn't qualify in the back, he's not going to get looked at DFS wise. So like those are the, it, it, and I feel like that's always the sweet spot. Like when I go to, to write up my article and I'm, and I'm looking at my recommended tournament picks, I'm always going to have someone in that 19 to 25 starting position That's going to be under owned. Mm -hmm. And then I'm going to have someone in that 28 to 34 that's going to be under owned. Like, that's always my strategy because there's, oh, it always happens every single week because there's big names that are going to start around them. And then you're not going to pick, like, general DFS players are not going to pick Justin Haley or Ty Dillon or Landon Castle or Corey LaJoy over guys like William Byron or uh, Denny Hamlin. You know, like, it's just not going to happen. So, just another one of those, you know, examples of just how these, like, trying to predict what other people do. And it becomes relatively easy, a hell of a lot easier than it is to predict this race. Oh,
1: yeah, 100%. And here's the other thing. Daytona 500 earlier this year, uh, 40 drivers in that race. Right? And now we only have a 37-car field. So I
0: didn't realize that. I thought we had a full field.
1: We only have a 37 car field this weekend. Um, even Talladega earlier this year, 39 car field, like just shrinking that field a little bit means 18th, 19th, 17th comes into play a little more than when there's a 40 car field. You know what I mean? Um, because the midway point of, of, of right. 36 is between 18th and 19th. Well, the midway place of 37 is exactly 19th place. Um, so back half of the field is 19th and beyond for a 37-car field. Um, maybe I got that backward. Yeah, no. Yeah, 19th and beyond is, is halfway, right? Because then you have um, 18 in front and 17 behind, and you're right in the middle. I don't know. I, I'm trying to do the math on the fly, but you get my points. Um, yeah, if there was a 38-car field, then there would be – 19 and 19 so halfway between that would be 19 and a half so 37 car field you take half a position from that yeah so 19th is exactly midway in a 37 car field Um, whereas 20.5 is exactly midway in a 40 car field so like one and a half positions is the median shifted up in terms of uh, you know starting position the median starting position is now 19th instead of 20.5 which doesn't sound like a lot but it Definitely can affect some some DFS decisions, uh, in just small percentages, right? Instead of playing the l- guy starting last, optimally, let's say it's an average car, not a shitbox, not a great car. Let's say it's an average car. If a guy was starting dead last and it was random average car, let's say, um, let's say, I don't know, uh, maybe somebody like. Eric Jones, um, you know, who seems to be right in the middle of odds there. Uh, or, or let's say Chase Briscoe. How about that? That's like a perfect midway car. Let's say Chase Briscoe yep. is starting dead last 40th in the Daytona 500. He probably should be close to f- like 38, 40%. But if he's starting 37th, he probably should be closer to like 33 to 36%. Like I know it sounds weird but it's just those slight differences that matter. So you're right. Pushing into instead of that 19 to 25 range in a 37 car field, maybe you're pushing that 17 to 24 range more as like the, the, the like place that's like no man's land or something. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. Um, And then obviously like, and that'll, that will also trickle up, I guess, instead of trickling down, trickle up into the top 12 starters. Cause there's obviously going to be very good cars that qualify Top ten, top fifteen, top five. Um, when it comes to front row, though, and we talk about this a lot, I have a very strict rule. I don't play the guys starting first or second. I never do. I know you do, just because your math brain says that there's still a possibility. But I'm over like, i
1: lineups. To... Yeah, over 500 lineups. Theoretically, they're optimal, like three percent or something. So I'll play them in, um, you know, 15 lineups out of 500 or something.
0: Yeah, and. Only one of them, not both of them. FYI, yeah, absolutely. To <laughs> I'll have the rule where it's only
1: one of the – I usually set a rule. I'll be like only one of the top five or something. It may be like one of the top four in a 37-car field, but you get the point.
0: Yeah. Um, but, again, just pointing out how stupid people are, combined ownership of the front two starters in the D- Daytona 500, 26%. Larson was at 18 and Bowman was at 8. Talladega, Christopher Bell was at 7. Truex was at Almost nine. Don't do that. Just don't. Especially if like I get it if you're making a ton of lineups, but if you're if you're throwing twenty line, don't even touch them. Do yes, not even. I agree. I, I barely touch the top five. I would never. I never touch top two, ever. The one time I will say though, like because I know someone might point us out here, Keselowski was eighteen percent owned in the Daytona 500 starting third. He ended up I think in the optimal because he led all those laps and because he finished up top five uh, or top whatever ninth yeah. like yeah. the chances of it happening are just so low and even he wasn't even in the optimal i don't think because it happens, because right. he did finish ninth
1: like it happens like, but it's pretty rare and here's the other thing even the talladega races are 188 laps the daytona 500 is 200 laps this is only a 160 lap race so now yeah. you've lopped off even, even more less. Yeah, of those dominator points that are potentially there, that favors place differential and finishing a little bit more. So we're shrinking the field, which favors place differential a little less and favors finishing a little more. We're also lopping off some dominator points, which favors place differential a little more and finishing a little more. So the big thing we should be focusing on is finishing position. Now, obviously, the second most important thing is place differential. They kind of go hand in hand. You want drivers that can move forward and finish well. So you got to focus on the combination of them, but uh, th- there will be a little bit of a premium on finishing position for this super speedway race compared to other super speedway races.
0: Yeah, talking about dominator points, we're we're basically talking about laps led because you take a look at the first Daytona race. Kurt Busch had the most fastest laps at eleven. Logano had eight, Bubba Wallace had seven, Hemrick had seven, Larson had seven. In all, there were 38 drivers that got at least one fastest lap. Like, th- these are so spread out. You look at Talladega, Kyle Busch, Corey LaJoy, Bubba Wallace all had ten. Um, in total, there were 35 drivers that, at le- that had at least one fastest lap. So nobody's going to get these like .45 points in DraftKings for fastest lap. Doesn't add up to a ton, even if you have ten. You know, that's four and a half points. That's that's if someone loses three positions, you've just lost those points Like as far as I'm concerned. So it's if anything, maybe like like if you take a look and you and you see like Bubba Wallace tends to get like you look at historical averages, he tends to get quite a bit. I think that does open up the door to be a little bit heavier on him, depending on situations, just because. You you can quote unquote count on him for those for those fastest laps, but at the end of the day, like I don't think I don't think anybody should be factoring in fastest laps to any significant part of their strategy this weekend. It is like you said, so much about finishing positions, so much about uh, place, differential, place yeah. differential, and then it, what Trumps all is just your strategy of building a lineup.
1: Absolutely, like, the strategy matters most. Um, you, you know, you don't want to be over correlated on certain things. You don't want to be under correlated on certain things, you don't want to be overweight on certain drivers that are going to be popular. You don't want to be underweight on drivers that are going to be scarce. There's a lot of things to consider, but it is very possible to build a great portfolio of lineups for this race. And even you could even you know build an amazing portfolio, and and shit will hit the fan, and that that's just how it works. But it is about the long run, and. I do think, especially if you play something like the uh, the Lugnut, 150 lineups, if if all you played was the Lugnut, it is 50K total prize pool, 10K to first. So instead of half or, or only a third going to first place, or I should say instead of half or a third going to first place, it's only a fifth, which is great for the flatter structure. Because um, if you have a really good strategy, you will be, you, you know... If if a little bit goes wrong, you won't lose as much. Whereas in a top hat of heavy strategy or a top heavy tournament, if your strategy is really good, but it still shit hits the fan, like the Millie Maker, um, where I was winning million dollars until the actual lap where everybody wrecked, uh, then all of a sudden you go from a million dollar winning, and I was going, you know, I was at like a million, it's like a million fifty thousand or something, because I had several top lineups. I forget what it was exactly, but. Uh, instead of going from that or like a, a you know a large chunk of money to slightly lost you go from a large chunk of money to a like what i had like a negative 33% roi because of the top heavy structure so a flatter structure will help you a lot more when shit hits fan a top heavy structure will help you a lot more when shit doesn't hit the fan for your strategy now you still want shit hit the fan because that's the whole point it's like benefiting off of it. You want shit to hit the fan. You just don't want it to happen to the, to the drivers that you're strategically on more than others. Um, but I'm talking about when shit hits the fan relative to the strategy you're on. So, you know, uh, shit hit the fan at Daytona 500. But if that lasts, well, I shouldn't say last. It was the second to last, I think, wreck. The one on lap 188, 189, whatever it was. If that wreck doesn't happen, I'm probably sitting there with, if not a million dollars, at least several hundred thousand or or Tens of thousands, I should say, dollars. Um I just didn't need those last two wrecks. Well, especially the second to last wreck. I just didn't need that one.
0: Yeah, that was that sucked. I hate talking about that. But um I actually like it as well because it, it that is going to keep people off Todd Gilliland again. And I already know like I can already tell, unless he qualifies super high up, I'm gonna be overweight on Todd Gilliland. It's gonna happen every single time.
1: I might be overweight. I don't if care. he does qualify. Super high up. I don't know. <laughs> I just have to uh, see yeah. what things I mean, say. Yeah. yeah, if he's going to be three percent um, owned and he's because he qualified nineteenth, yeah, I'm going to play him like fifteen percent.
0: Yeah. Um, I did notice that they have this is the last week to qualify for their for DraftKings World Fantasy Racing World Championship. Um, they do have a one dollar per entry, hundred fifty max for that. Um, first place gets a ticket. Everything else basically gets shit. Um, do you, is there any different strategy there than yes, there would be. Okay. Because I know there, there always is like last week I tweeted it out. I said, if you're in a qualifier heavily consider, and obviously it wouldn't have worked out because, because he finished eighth, but heavily consider not fading Christopher bell because so many people are going to have him. Mm hmm what but in a big gpp like this you still think that they're like i was talking like the like the $240 contest where there's 33 people um this one has it's the lowest of the big gpps 8323 people or entries um what's the what's the difference or what's the strategy there is it a little similar to to kind of being underweight on those big guys yeah i, so, I assume
1: so we talk about gto game theory optimal versus exploitative and in a large, massive tournament with a gazillion entries and a, you know, a decent payout structure, where it's not like every single piece of money to first place, uh, you know, if you have something like the lug nut, a nice flatter payout structure, getting close to game theory optimal on your driver percentages, your driver ownership percentages, is the play. But we have something that's just top heavy as fuck, and that's the only thing that matters: leverage. So exploitative matters. Just like you're saying, if Christopher Bell is 80% owned uh, at whatever the fuck it's called, um, Watkins Glen, even if you can make 150 lineups, then instead of making, I don't know what would be optimal for Christopher Bell, let's say 60, (coughs) let's say 65% in that neighborhood for Bell at Glen where he started, et cetera. Uh, I wouldn't do 60 or 65%. I need that extra leverage on the field. I do like, 35% Thirty-five percent or thirty percent, Christopher Bell, in that case, because the way I'm going to have it, the, my best shot at qualifying is by getting that leverage on the field. So instead of going optimal, it would be by being exploitative and being extremely underweight on Christopher Bell uh, if he's gonna if I think he's going to be extremely overweight, you know, by the rest of the field. So you want to get more exploitative, the more top heavy the structure becomes, and that's how I tried to structure my millie maker lineup is because almost 50% went to first place, right? It was uh, one divided by 2.25 because 44.4% went to first place. I tried to be more exploitative and the one driver I missed being more exploitative with was David Reagan, David fucking Reagan. So that was unfortunate, but um, you know, I, I, it, it is what it is. I think in this case where we have flatter payout structures, I know it's not millimaker flat, but it's still flatter, even the 350k. You know, the, the the massive GPP. I think it's better to get closer to game three optimal, uh, than than to be exploitative. But in a qualifier, absolutely, I want to get exploitative as fuck.
0: Yeah, I I wasn't like I understand the theory or completely understand the theory when it comes to like the higher dollar. But yeah, I always get a little. Not leery, but just questioning um, when it comes to these bigger ones because they're and they're not very common. Like, not that I see in any way that uh, that they run these except for you know Talladega. Um, I need to give DraftKings a shout out. They lowered the the high dollar entry from four forty four to three thirty three. I didn't I didn't really like paying that four forty four. So, just something I noticed. And I, okay. So I said that they kept the big GPP the same. I had to go back and check last week. They cut everything else. Like, they're already cutting these contests. And they're going to fill. Oh, my.
1: Yeah. Mm. Well, that's what I was going to say. So a lot of times we'll talk. So you're talking about, you know, the field doesn't know what they're doing. There's a lot of dumb money in this. That's true. The most dumb money comes in the Daytona 500. And as the season progresses, the sharper players survive. Right. And when NFL starts even then it's really all the casuals go to NFL so but we're in this spot where it's like just baseball basically out of the big sports and some golf but like there's no NFL there's no NHL there's no NBA um there i guess there's some soccer and some some golf and some MMA but like those aren't the bigger sports outside of maybe baseball so we're not losing all of the dumb money until Talladega essentially. So we're still going to have 20%, 15% on the front row uh, in this race. And so it's still going to be exploitative um, or there's still, I should say there still will be exploitative opportunities or, or, you know, GTO opportunities to be different from the field.
0: Yeah. Especially if we get someone like Chase Elliott on the pole, like, you know he's going to pull fifteen percent, like which is absolutely insane, mm-hmm. absolutely insane. That mm, I just don't. I love it because it creates an edge. But man, I yeah, don't. know. if you, get, get, that if at you all. get a
1: Denny Hamlin or a Chase Elliott or one of these massively big names who's also good at Super Speedway racing on the pole, Ryan Blaney, those types of guys, there's yeah. auto edge there.
0: Yeah. Um. I don't really have anything else. What do you got?
1: Hell, if Todd Gillen's on the pole, there's going to be Edge, because he'll be 5% owned, and he should be 0% on the pole. <laughs>
0: it's true.
1: I'm not 0 but you get what I'm saying. Like, less than 1% probably.
0: Yeah. I uh, uh, I hope that doesn't happen, though, because I love being overweight on Gilly.
1: Oh, me too. I'm just race. saying. But, you know, if, if just to some crazy shit were to happen like that, where, like, he goes out and qualifies, and then for some reason the track just, like, massively slows down. It's not going to happen, but, like, if it were to somehow happen, uh, you know it would it'd be like okay. Well, he should be like one percent owned optimally, and he'll still be five or six <laughs> percent. Yeah, but um, yeah, I mean, any any other questions you got from your thing? I mean, it's it's super speedway racing. If you've been a long time listener, uh, you kind of know how it works. Excuse me, how it works as far as betting. We told y'all, told y'all, there's not a whole lot we love out there. I will probably end up throwing some bets because I do think there's some thin value out there uh, or some moderate value out there, like Eric Jones. I think Stenhouse at 30 is interesting for thin value. Um, you know, I might, I might sprinkle a Keselowski 25. It just depends. But for me, getting that, and this is only for me. This is literally only for me because I got that 20 to one field bet. Which is just a massive monster value that covers so many drivers that it opens me up to being able to bet these thin values more because I have a large chunk of expected percentage wrapped up in that one bet on who's going to win. Uh, right, my uh, my model says optimally that field bet should be about five and a half to one. I think Jim Sonis's model says about plus five sixty seven. Mine's closer to uh, plus five fifty, a little under five fifty actually. Um, my, my model is a little more flat on the, uh, the outrights than Jim's model is. So Jim has a little higher on like some of the favorites and I'm a little lower on some of the favorites, a little higher on these underdogs. But, uh, the point stands that whether you look at Jim's model or my model, there's massive value on that 20 to one field bet. It got bet down to four to one. So that should tell you there was a lot of value there, but that by having like 15% expected win value pulled into that one bet now I can afford to go for more thin value. Whereas uh, if you don't have, you know, that thin value starts, you start to eat away at your edge, the more thin value bets you make. Um, So just uh, one of those things where I'm a little lucky in my unique situation here that I might bet a Stenhouse. I might bet an Eric Jones, but I might not make these bets without that field bet.
0: Yeah. And, and, one thing to remember betting wise this week is to expect to lose everything that you bet. Like last week at Watkins Glen I was very confident in my bets. Like I, uh, I expected to lose yesterday. everything
1: at Watkins Glen. I remember I remember talking on the podcast I was like I expect to lose. And I did uh, in terms of the outrights and everything. So uh but the same thing applies to here with absolute not, with when anyone can win. Absolutely you should yeah. be expecting to lose. Now, the reason I expected to lose at Watkins Glen is because I wasn't betting Chase Elliott. I wasn't betting Tyler Reddick. I wasn't betting Kyle Larson. So I expected to lose. But if you're betting those guys, yeah, absolutely. I think you shouldn't necessarily expect to lose.
0: Yeah. I confidence wise, I'm infinitely high I was infinitely higher at Watkins Glen than I ever would be at Daytona. Like if if, if, if I would get an outright and, and they'd win, it, I'd chalk it up to luck. Yeah, like, and, and it's whereas, funny because I
1: think it's flipped for DFS. I'm much more confident in my DFS strategy for Daytona than Watkins Glen.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, one question we got, would an optimal strategy be try to grab grab guys that will ride around until the end due to the expected chaos? I I don't see how you'd even predict that. It, it, it all comes down to,
1: yeah. There's, there's no way no, to predict that. Are you, there's times Ryan Newman rode around the back and there's times Ryan Newman raced at the front. How did you know which one he was going to employ, which strategy he was going to employ? Um, yeah. Good luck guessing which drivers are going to ride around in the back, right? Like you could say Ty Dillon's going to ride around in the back, but then he'll be like eighth place at the end of stage one or something. So there's just, there's no and, way to know.
0: Yeah. And we've seen it before. Like, like Denny Hamlin r- loves getting out front leading laps, but if he feels like it's getting too racy up there and it's getting a little like like a Rex, he feels like a wreck's going to happen. We've yeah. seen it several times. He just goes to the back and yeah. it, 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 it all depends on race conditions. And yes, you can like, there are some drivers that are more likely to, to sit around in the back. Kevin Harvick comes to mind, mm-hmm. but there's been times that Kevin Harvick goes up there and races. Like, oh, absolutely. It's yeah. It's it, so I, as far as that mindset, it does not. I don't even think about that when it comes to building DFS lineups, because, yeah, it's it's difficult to predict, and and even then, there could be a wreck that starts mid pack and collects the guys in the back too. Like, yep. there's no saying that the wreck's going to be up front unless exactly. Keselowski's up there, then it's probably going to be in the front.
1: Yeah, I, oh, you're 100 percent right. Um, and like when it comes down to it, the last what 50 laps are going to be what matters anyway. Like, there's an, the thing about you know saying driver. Well, let's play the drivers who ride around the back. Well. There's no incentive to go and race up front for anybody other than maybe Blaney and Truex for the first two stages, right? So, who cares if you win a stage if you're, you know, Todd Gilliland, because you still have to race, win the race to get it in the playoffs. Um, I don't think we're going to see super hard competitive racing to where we're getting a whole bunch of wrecks in the first two stages. So it doesn't matter if you're saying, well, let's play the guys who riding around the, the back or not, because I don't think that we're gonna have a ton of chaos until stage three. I think especially when you get down to the last 50 laps, and then of course as you go to 40, 30, 20, 25, or 25, 20, 15, 10, 5, etc., becomes more and more likely. And they're if you're in the mid-pack or back at that point, you're trying to get the hell forward if you need to win to get in. Yeah. So that's when it's gonna get crazy as those last 50 especially 20 laps. Uh and we will see wrecks. I do believe we will see wrecks of people being desperate trying to get to the front. And that's where we're going to benefit as DFS players.
0: I could also definitely see a situation where the field basically I don't want to say rides around, but it's not like we haven't seen that happen before and then there's just like one big wreck at the end. Yep. Which is no, like I hate situations like that. I like I like Rex
1: throughout the race for DFS. Like, I
0: I, love my if, <laughs> if my DFS yeah, my DFS day is going to be killed, I want to know on lap 50. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, um there was a question you answered it on Twitter uh, about parlaying top 10s. I don't understand the 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 draw of parlaying top 10s at all. I you cannot pay me to parlay a top top 10s. And that's the I do thing.
1: Not and I, know, get it. I know I know I know I you know, we talked about, does betting a top 10 cut into other top 10 value? No, if they're not parlayed. But again, when we were talking about all JGR top 10, that's a, that's a parlay, right? Yeah. <laughs> so whether you're parlaying two JGR drivers or, or two whoever drivers, now you need, the only way you get two drivers finishing in the top 10 is one finished 10th or redder. And by definition, even if that driver finishes 10th, then the next driver has to finish ninth or better. So we talked about this. So you need to be getting top ten, top nine, top eight odds if you're doing a three way parlay, or a top ten, top nine odd odds for a two way parlay. And FanDuel is not giving us those odds. Plus, then they take a little extra cut because you're just parlaying anyway. Um, I just I don't see any reason to parlay top tens unless you're getting like massively ridiculous edge, right? So I was getting ten to one on Gilland and ten to one on Burton. That's pretty ridiculous because now their odds are each six to one for a top ten, right? So you think their top nine odds probably would be like, uh, like eight to one. So if you're getting ten to one and ten to one, that's fine as long as you know you're parlaying and you're getting more than like fifty to one or something. You know, if you if you're parlaying ten and ten, you're probably getting like ninety ish on the parlay. That's fine, but those are only in like super massive edge cases. If otherwise, there's absolutely no reason to parlay top tens. None.
0: The only, and I thought about this quite often today. Um, the only time I could see myself parlaying top tens would be at a very predictable track that I liked someone but didn't quite have a huge edge for a top 10, and then parlay it with someone that was pretty much a sure shot for a top 10. That's about the only time I could see myself a sure actually. Like a shot like Ryan Blaney at
1: Martinsville? Shh.
0: no like chase elliott at Watkins glen like something like that
1: (laughs) hey chase elliott didn't even uh finish top 10 and then one or two of the road course races this year
0: but still that's about the only time i could see myself betting a a top 10 parlay. right oh exactly yeah i agree with Um, you yeah another question sean johnston with so much chaos usually at super speedways i usually build lines with a combined starting spot of 130 to 150 have you ever done this strategy i i don't really focus on the total starting like and there's no way to put that into an optimizer right maybe if i'm hand building lines yeah but i i pretty much follow a like a very specific strategy when i'm building lines so yep. i got I end up there anyway i've never specifically thought like this this lineup needs to be combined starting spot of or combined starting spots of 130 to 150.
1: you know what else annoys me um and and this tags along off that question is people focus so much on starting spot and they look at the optimal lineup but the optimal lineup these usually doesn't even win or or, or i should say the winning lineup usually isn't even optimal right right like it, it Even in the Millie Maker, it was not the optimal lineup that won the Millie Maker. It was maybe a top five lineup or something like that, top three lineup uh, in terms of if you made every possible combination that fit under the $50,000 salary cap, but it was not the optimal lineup. And that was the biggest tournament of the year, the most entrance all year. And it was not the optimal lineup. So stop looking at the optimal lineup. Look at what drivers do well over like who? F- yes, of course. Look at the top six in DraftKings points, but also look at the top seven, eight, nine, ten, etc. Because you can have a lineup that wins a tournament that has a driver that scores only the eighth or ninth most DraftKings points. um So let's stop focusing on optimal, and and then saying, well, now you need starting positions seventeen through twenty three in all your lineups because that that's or, or whatever like it. Uh, it's just frustrating because people just will look at like one thing and then they'll use this to prove their point when in reality there is a massive web of everything that's going on and you need to say what is the optimal portfolio if i'm playing lots of lineups if you're playing one lineup you're not even making a portfolio you're just hoping to throw one dart in a one in 200,000 chance or something, you know, like you're basically Mm -hmm. buying one lottery ticket in a, not in a Powerball, but like in a mega million or mega millions, but like in your local lottery or something. Right. So it's, it's for the people that are mass entering, um, or entering a lot of lineups, even even if you're entering twenty, like some of what we're saying doesn't completely apply because, like you were saying, if, if you're only entering twenty lineups, why would you ever play anybody in the front row? Because if you play one driver in the front row, then all of a sudden he's in five percent of your lineups, which is already right around GTO, and that just kind of defeats the purpose anyway. Because you know he's going to be fifteen or twenty percent, so why don't you just get exploitative and just don't play that driver on the front row? So, if you are entering twenty lineups, like yeah, don't play any drivers start on the front row. It's kind of silly, but if you are playing five hundred lineups, like I probably will be, um, then it makes sense to at least sprinkle, a, you know, a, a Chase Elliott on the front row or something like that. But even then, it, it, it's it's tough. But the whole idea is stop looking at optimal lineups. Stop looking at one specific thing. You need to look at a portfolio and understand how you are going to build a portfolio for this race. If you're, if you're actually serious about playing DFS. Um, and then you also need to not only build a portfolio, you need to understand human behavior and what they're going to do.
0: Yeah, that's the biggest takeaway, I think. Um, because it is, I think it's very predictable. And does that mean you're going to make the right decisions of, of going against popular opinion and popular judgment no but then you're working on probabilities of something (laughs) happening and you being able to take advantage of that
1: (laughs) jordan's laughing because i'm having a coughing
0: fit because i just choked on my beer (laughs) good good job muting that mid-cough by the way
1: (laughs) you know desperate times call for desperate desperate measures (laughs) um but no you're right like it's it, it. comes down to what we said. You were you were actually making a good point, and I was getting ready to like chime in, and so as I was getting ready to chime <laughs> in, my the beer went down the wrong pipe or whatever. But um, and I, I forget what you were saying or what you said. But the whole point is, uh, you're like, yeah, well, this is really predictable, but the finishing position is not, which is the best part of it.
0: Yeah, I was saying you just because you're able to predict what other people are going to do doesn't mean that you're going to take the right strategy to be on the other side of it. Like you, there's still that randomness factor of it. Like you could be on the complete opposite side of it. Yep. It's just taking in the probability of, of where you want to be and, and what is the position you want to be? Because at the end of the day, still, you're, to...
1: you're still more likely to be on the right side of it as far as strategy than being able to predict the race outcome.
0: Yes. The, the, and the worst thing, like the worst thing these weeks for me and I know for you is when the chalk hits,
1: you yeah. know, yeah.
0: that is, that is always the worst. It happens.
1: It, it happens. That's yeah. the nature of randomness. You know, um, when something's 85% random, there's still 15% that's predictable. And if you get the 15% predictable, like overall, then, uh, that you're going to lose that week potentially you know but it, it is what it is and it's okay that's okay it doesn't mean you're a bad strategy i lost in the daytona 500 with a really good strategy that was because i had there was a massively top-heavy structure i don't think i would have lost maybe even i may have even profited in a really flat structure uh, because i had a lot that were like on the low end of caching and all of a sudden if you boost that up by half a million dollars you know those lower end caches uh yeah. or or seven hundred fifty thousand dollars or something that, that would have that went to the top prize, but that didn't like like if it's a two point two five million dollar prize pool, instead of paying one million first, if you're paying two hundred fifty thousand to first, that's still like one eighth or something or or one ninth of the total prize pool. But all of a sudden there's seven hundred fifty thousand dollars to distribute everywhere else. That's You know, a lot of those bottom tier caches suddenly get elevated up. And instead of minus 33% ROI, you could be at minus five or minus 12 or or positive 3% ROI or something like that. So it just depends on the structure. Uh, And I went for a structure where my goal was to win the million dollars. And I feel like I accomplished that. I am extremely happy. And that was the thing when I, and I, I, you and I were talking during the race, like sending messages on Twitter, et cetera. And I was like. You know, I'm not even mad. Like, I'm happy. Like, I gave myself a legit fucking chance to win that. Um, and a bad strategy will more likely than not not give you a chance to win that. And the other thing is a bad strategy means you're probably splitting that million dollars five ways or something instead of being on a unique lineup.
0: That's a good point. Which I don't... I, and that just brings up the fact that the winner's... I feel like we haven't had ties like that, splits. But I haven't. I can't say I've like tracked this shit. But maybe we have. There's been a as few, far as but, like, but.
1: I think that big change that DraftKings made like a year or two ago. Um, I don't know if it was this year or the year before. I can't remember. Everything blends together. But where they went to point four five for a fastest lap, and they had that gap between tenth and eleventh where there's like an extra point yep. there. That I definitely think that helped diversify those 178 lineup trains in first place Mm -hmm.
0: at least at super speedways like we we still get ties and elsewhere well
1: and the other thing is the new car has helped diversify even at other tracks as well because it's been more unpredictable years so more drivers are in play and once dfs players have kind of adjusted to that it's it's definitely created
0: a little more diversity in lineups Mm -hmm. um who's doc block this week
1: you know who it is. It's a big, big, big fucking deal. Martin Truex Jr. is Doc blocked. He needs to win or pass Ryan Blaney in points to get to the playoffs, but he's dock blocked. That's awesome. It's incredible. That's awesome.
0: Speaking of true, okay. I didn't, I didn't bring this up earlier because we didn't really talk about championship. But um, – his championship odds are still at twenty five, I believe. I'm just looking at DraftKings, so I'm not shopping around. Yeah, they're at twenty five. Um, that's that's stupid. He's he's eighteen to win the race. Like, why would you bet? Yes, I'd love to get Truex twenty five to win the championship, but I'm just gonna I, I, if I like him that much, I'm just gonna bet him to win Saturday.
1: Because he pretty much like, ha- I, like there's a massively more probability he wins this race than he wins the championship at this point yeah. in time. Shurik should be, I mean, okay, like, let's think about just getting into the playoffs. What are his odds? What are the odds? Well, he probably has to win. There's like a 90% chance he has to win the race to get in. And there's a 10% chance maybe he can get in on points if he makes it. So what is his odds to win the race? What is his actual realistic odds to win? I think 18-1 might be a little short. I think maybe he's about 5% to win the race, let's say. Let's say he's 5% to win the race. And that's 90% of the way he can get in. Then then there's another half percent, I guess, where he can like point his way in overall. So, or let's say 10 raw percent even. Let's say there's a 15% chance he makes the playoffs. <clears throat> let's just be generous. Then if there is a let's say a 1 in 6 chance he makes the playoffs, then you know, then we need to say, well, now that he's in the playoffs, what are his odds to win the championship? And I would say they're right around that 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 number. You could, you could argue specifically on the 8 or the 12 side. Uh, but, you know, I mean, he's probably right in there with your Chastain's, Kyle Busch's, Kevin Harvick's, William Byron's, et cetera. And they're anywhere from 8 to 15 on DraftKings. Let's throw him in the middle. Let's say 10%, like 1 out of 10. So if he's 1 out of 10, if he's in the playoffs – and he's one out of six. That means he's realistically realistically should be like sixty to one ish to win the championship. And DraftKings has him at twenty five. That's stupid.
0: I couldn't I honestly couldn't believe that he wasn't longer. Because I think he was at twenty five last week. They just like kept it the same.
1: Yeah. I think other books um did a lot better. I, I think Circa last week had him at like sixty six to one or something. Uh, to win mm-hmm. the championship. I I'm pulling up circa right now. Usually they don't have odds up at this point of the week like they did last year. But uh yeah, they don't have championship odd right now. But I do believe Circa had tricks at sixty six to win the championship last week. Right? And I said I was being generous at sixty. Like he's probably more like a hundred to one of the champion to win the championship at this point.
0: Yeah. Pulling up I just pulled up Ballybet. They have Truex at twenty, and they have Bo- they have Bowman who's locked in at thirty. Like, <laughs> yeah, and they have Blaney at fifteen. Like these, like some of these books are just man.
1: There's like a uh, there's like a fifteen. Uh, I, don't, I don't no. I think it was Jim um, Sweet. There's a forty percent chance that we get a new winner. Now, obviously, a lot of that's going to Blaney and Truex, but. Even then, they're only, what, 15% combined? There's probably like a 25% chance we get a new winner that isn't Blaney or Truex. So that means there's a 25% chance Blaney doesn't even make the playoffs. And that doesn't count the small percentage of chance Truex passes him in points and there's no new winner. Let's say there's a 30% chance Blaney doesn't make the playoffs. Then... 70% Seventy percent of the time he does, and if he's in the playoffs again, maybe he's eight to one or something. Maybe he's on the better side, seven to one, let's say. Um, so that's one and eight times. Uh, you know, so one and eight, and then seven and ten. Wait, what did I say? Yeah, seven and ten because thirty percent of the time he doesn't make the playoffs. Like we're talking, still. Blaney doesn't have a good chance to win the championship. Let me do the math here. Because I'm pulling up my calculator. Um, so one out of eight times Blaney wins, that's 12.5% times 0.7% chance he makes the playoffs, 70% chance. He should be like one in eight. or Sorry, one. he has an 8.75% chance to win the championship, um, which is 11, no, sorry, it's like 10.5 to one. So, the fact that you can get him at fifteen maybe is actually okay value there, but that's if he's like seven to one to win the championship if he makes the playoffs, right Now, mm-hmm. is he actually seven to one or is he more like nine or ten or twelve to one, that affects things greatly. But if he's seven to one, if he makes the playoffs and he has a seventy percent chance to make the playoffs, then like ten and a half to one is fair, and again, I think mm-hmm. I'm being generous,
0: yeah. You mentioned um, percent, or the the likelihood of getting a new winner and, and getting to 16 winners this year. Like Obviously, we're all talking about Blaney. We're all talking about Truex. But like the other non-winners this year, Eric Jones has won on a super speedway. Eric Almirola has won on a super speedway. Austin Dillon has won on a super speedway. Bubba Wallace has won on a super speedway. Mm-hmm. Justin Haley has won on a super speedway. Michael McDowell has won on a super speedway. Ricky Stenhouse Jr. has won on a super speedway. These are all very good super speedway drivers that could sneak into these final, this, into the playoffs in this final race and then not have Blaney or Truex in there, which I, I'm rooting for this because I want to see like the fans' reactions. And I also want to see NASCAR's reaction because I think they then bend the rules next year or they change the rules so that this doesn't happen again because it's going to be. It's going to come off as a black guy for NASCAR if Ryan Blaney and Martin Truex Jr., who are both in the top six in points, do not make it to the playoffs, even though it is the rules. Um, I think we will see a change with that. But Yeah, um, and I was actually so wrong
1: because when I said, um, you know, if we get a new winner, that's not Blaney or Truex. Also, if Truex wins, then Blaney's not in the playoffs. So really Blaney's right. fair odds become around 12-1 to 1 instead, assuming he's a 1-8 if he makes the playoffs to win the playoffs, so yeah, it's just it's really hard to bet Blaney right now. Um, but you're right; there's a ton of good drivers, and and when I say that field bet, we didn't even talk about like Corey LeJoy almost won Atlanta. Um, Harrison Burton has won in Xfinity, I believe it was. Uh, Todd Gilliland has won in Arca. You know, it, like um, Ty Dillon has won in Arca, like. There are drivers. That Chris Buescher has won a dual race. Uh, you know, there's there's definitely guys that can win. I mean, if you're in a, if you're Todd Gillen, you can win this race. Front Row Motorsports has won at Daytona. Front Row Motorsports, sorry, uh, Furniture Row, no Front Row. I always do that. Yeah, Front Row has won at Daytona. Yeah, front. front Row has won at Talladega. Todd Gillen can win this race. Is it likely? No, but can he? Absolutely. Like. Brian Blaney. Same with
0: Michael McDowell
1: is not safe. Who, Absolutely. I mean, I, I, yeah, up, of we're not even saying Michael McDowell here, but yes. Uh,
0: McDowell picked up another top ten at at Watkins Glen. Ten this year, I think. He's having is. a. Yeah. Uh, yeah, ten or eleven, like uh, more than his last two years combined. Um, but so two. I'm gonna I'm gonna split this into two questions. Who do you think is going to win the race? And who do you want to win the race?
1: Think. think. By the
0: way, I'm tracking this. You had Larson last week, and obviously he won. So, <laughs> money.
1: And I didn't bet on him, of course. But that's again, there's a difference between pick the win and value betting, right? Like you right. can have, you can think a guy is going to win or has a good chance to win, but he's not value from a betting perspective. Um, who do I think is going to win? I think. And I don't know why this is coming to me, but I think Christopher Bell is going to win. Who do wow. I want? I actually think another driver I think could win, and this is not my pick to win, but my pick to win is Christopher Bell this week. But who do I want to win? Or I should say, another driver I think has a really good chance to win and would not surprise me at all Brad Kozlowski. I would not be surprised one mm. bit if Brad Kozlowski wins this race. And he's the aggressive kind that will do that. He will force his way in there if he needs to. So I'm picking Christopher Bell, but like my backup pick is Brad Kozlowski. Who do I want to win? I want my field bet to win. <laughs> I don't care who it is. I want my field bet to win. I want BJ McLeod to win or something. You know, I want Corey LaJoy to win and have somebody get a 100 point penalty to get in the playoffs. I want chaos. I want thirtieth place Todd Gilliland to win. I don't care as long as it's my field bet. <laughs>
0: that's a that's a very good answer, um, and obviously, like it'd be a very good payday for you. So,
1: yeah, I want. I'll Eric root Jones for that. I, will I definitely care. root for that. I don't care. I want Eric Jones to win. He's you know that's part of the field. Yeah.
0: I. Uh, I'm gonna go with Joey Logano. That's going to be my pick to win this week.
1: You know he's aggressive as hell. Um,
0: Yeah. And who I want to win, I want Bubba Wallace to win.
1: I do too. Okay. I I will definitely say that. Uh, That's not part of the field, but I do want Bubba Wallace to win. Yes. Yeah.
0: That's – yeah. And then, yeah, then Legato – or Blaney and Truex – out of the playoffs and Bubba getting in because it's going to piss so many people off. Oh, I, Oh man, Facebook's going to be so toxic. If that happens,
1: you know, who's probably going to win and we're all going to hate it. Alex Bowman.
0: I could see it. It's just going to be
1: him somehow, some way. Nobody's going to bet him and he's going to win.
0: He was at, he was at 29 to one on points, bet. I don't think he's there anymore.
1: Uh, I'm pulling it up right now. Alex Bowman, the longest you can get him at is twenty-five to one at BetMGM. He's twenty-five at points bet as well. Twenty-five at Caesars.
0: At twenty-five. Uh, Christopher Bell is also twenty-five to one.
1: Yeah. I, the more I think about it, the more I think I like my Keselowski pick instead of Christopher Bell. Can I officially switch?
0: Switch to Keselowski. Okay,
1: I, I'm switching to Keselowski. I'm officially switching my pick to Brad Keselowski.
0: Did you? So I got, you were, Gianno, you got you were talking about
1: it. You were like, if I'm bored, I may go back through the episodes and l- listen to our picks to win. I don't know if you did any of that.
0: <laughs> I haven't done it yet. I, I will. That's funny.
1: I think I've only hit the two this year, which were Redick and, and Larson. But um, yeah, my pick to win hit again. But I my official pick to win is Brad Keselowski. I'm I'm switching to that permanently officially.
0: And he twenty five to one at, at DraftKings. I actually think I, he might don't, be one. I don't. I don't mind that. that.
1: Yeah, I, I actually think because I got that field bet, and again that opens up my card. I think I'm going to bet. I think I don't know. And it's, it may you may already you know by the time you listen to this podcast because it usually comes out eighteen hours after we recorded or something. Um, if you're listening though, I may have already bet Brad Kozowski. I may have already bet Ricky Stenhouse Jr. Um. Those are two that I really like. Uh, they both need to win to get in. They're both aggressive as everything. Um, I could see myself betting those two. And then I could see myself betting Blaney just because 12 to one could potentially be value on Blaney. And then you think, you know, if Penske wants to get him in. Yeah. Um, so I could see that. But everybody else at this point, like, I don't think there's a single driver I can in good faith bet other than i think there's thin value on stenhouse keselowski and blaney maybe logano at 14 i could see but i always just worry about the all right, he's only at 13 now as the longest so possibly not but i just worry about like the blaney deal right like <laughs> it's tough it's tough um also why the fuck is daniel suarez at 25 like the guy is an awful super speedway racer
0: i have no idea that yeah he's ridiculously bad i understand he ride.
1: led at atlanta but atlanta is the pseudo speedway not the super speedway atlanta is a pseudo speedway because there's the handling part that matters which helps the good teams uh and track has of course has been very good this year uh and we know suarez has been good at some of the mile and a half as well like charlotte etc so I'm not really worried about that, but like in Xfinity, Daniel Suarez in the opening Daytona race of the year, never finished better than eighth. Um, in the summer Daytona race, he never finished better than 15th at Talladega. His best finish was seventh in Xfinity. Um, in the truck series, his best Daytona finish is ninth. His best Talladega finish is 15th. Like this isn't just a cup thing. When he was at Joe Gibbs Racing, he was terrible at super speed races, even with the best of the best teams. He is not a good super speedway racer. Yes, obviously he finished fourth at Atlanta and sixth at Atlanta, but Atlanta is a pseudo speedway. It's not a super speedway.
0: So watch Suarez come out and win this damn thing. <laughs> and I'm gonna
1: be so fucking embarrassed. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> if he wins it, he wins it. I mean, it, it obviously can happen. I'm not putting any yeah. stock in it, but obviously it can happen. I just think he's an absolute garbage super speedway racer. I would rather have Daniel Hemrick at a super speedway than Daniel uh, Suarez at a super speedway.
0: Yeah. He he finished 18th here in this year's day. And obviously you have to look, like, don't even, like, looking at finish, finishing position doesn't do shit when it comes to Daytona. But he finished 18th this year in the Daytona 500. His that's that almost matched his career best. He finished 17th here in July race of 2017. Yeah. He he's just he is so bad at Daytona and Talladega. And it seems you like you can
1: break out. Like you, you know, Ryan Blaney kind of is breaking out a little bit at Richmond, etc. You can do that, but it doesn't mean you're likely to win.
0: Right. And the thing I've noticed about Suarez at the Super Speedways is when he comes into a position or into a situation where he needs to make a decision. He always makes the wrong decision Mm -hmm. just constantly. And you cannot afford that at these tracks. No, not at all. So,
1: um, yeah. And the other thing is I was really annoyed and I think the books in this case did a good job because people always say how bad Martin Truex Jr. Is at super Speed. He's not bad. He just, Hasn't had the finishes. He's actually really good at super speedways. Um, he's not the best. He's no Kozlowski or Logano or, or Bubba or Stenhouse. But he's good at super speedways. He just has had, A, some rotten luck. B, he's made a few bad decisions, yes. But, see, he's actually had some really good finishes. He finished second to Eric Jones at Daytona. He finished second to Denny Hamlin at Daytona. It just hasn't been first and he's 20 to 1 as the longest at points bet which is really unfortunate cuz if he was 30 I would have bet him or 28 I would have bet him I was hoping for that on Martin Trick's Jr. especially given the the situation
0: this circumstance yeah.
1: yeah and maybe books are taking that into account but um yeah the books got scared shitless I think because Corey Joy almost won Atlanta <laughs> yeah you know now like yeah. we just have to pre- like Fucking Eric Jones hasn't been 35 to 1 or, or 30 to 1 at most books or 28 to 1 or whatever it is he is going at across the industry, right? He's got he's got a 35, a 33, a 24 at FanDuel, 35 at DK. So, yeah, like, anywhere between 24 and 35, like, I think you could get him at 40-plus at every super speedway race this year, including the pseudo-speedways of Atlanta. I think at, at Talladega, I think he was 50 or set, no, I got him 70 at Talladega, right? Because uh, Ross Chastain won that. I had Jones at like yep. 70 at Dega and 75 for the Daytona 500. Now he's like 35. God damn it, books, man, you're pissing me off. They, yeah. They're like, they're afraid of getting beat because they've gotten shellacked this year at super speedways and at uh, pseudo speedways and at road courses and just in general. Like, long shots have been yep. winning this year.
0: You look at BetMGM. Corey LaJoy is thirty-three to one at MGM.
1: which is absolute chicken shit move. by them. That's that's an absolute chicken <laughs> shit move.
0: And I, I think no they opened him that. there, so it's not like he got hammered there, right? Like and hammered down. Like their odds just suck overall. They basically have like everybody at thirty-three to one. They yeah, don't I, have any I long have shots.
1: Zero respect for that. Absolutely zero respect for them listing Corey LaJoy at thirty-three to one. Even Caesar's pissing me off. Listing him at fifty to one yeah
0: Draftkings has the best odds on a lot of guys this week which is surprising because they typically very don't. unusual but they for got DraftKings. yeah they got Lajoy at 100 to one um you know McDowell the longest odds on McDowell Gibbs Busher Jones Almarola Dylan mm-hmm. Brisco Bell Harvey like and even uh keslowski they're, they're the ones offering 25 on kelowski you know it's handles at 18.
1: you know what's funny uh Sugar House or Cambi Books or Bet Rivers, you know all these, all these like Bet Rivers, Sugar House, they're they're Cambi Books, Barstool, they don't have the sole best odds on a single driver this week for outrights. They have some tied best odds, but they don't have any single best odds. Like I think every other book has at least one. Mm -hmm. That's ridiculous.
0: Yeah, I'm not. I'm not seeing any. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what's funny? you know, sitting here talking shit about, um, Bet MGM, like they have the longest odds on Bubba Wall. Like, this is what doesn't make sense. Like they have the longest odds on Bubba, longest odds on, uh, Chastain, Byron. Now they're tied for those, but they're the only one that are offering Bubba at 14. Mm-hmm. Everyone else is at 12 or 13.
1: Yeah. But I guess that's what happens if you make Corey Joy 33, you can afford to go a little longer on the favorites.
0: <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Yeah,
1: it's I don't know, man. This is going to be an exciting race. I think that I mean Talladega was exciting, Daytona was exciting. I don't see any reason why this Daytona race won't be exciting. I mean, it's a playoff cutoff race. So many drivers could win and and get in. Uh, I just I have a hard time, hard time thinking this isn't going to be an exciting race.
0: Yeah. Like I said, the only the only possible scenario I could see is if they just ride around for the first 90, 95% of this race. Yeah. And then wad them then up once. Should I should give it a. Ag-
1: I think that happened last year. I think you're right. I think that happened last year. Like they wadded them up on lap 157, and that was it. 156, yeah. 157, yep. somewhere in there. And that was it. But, uh, and the funny thing is, there were a lot of cautions. It was just a lot of single car cautions. Um, there was a red flag, I guess, last year. I don't honestly I don't even remember last year's cutoff race. Me neither. But Ryan Blaney won it. Uh, but I don't think that really means anything. Bob Wallace finished second. That would have been insane to get him in the playoffs. Ryan Newman finished third. He could have gotten in the playoffs. Ryan Priest finished fourth. He could have gotten in the playoffs. Like Blaney won it, but second, third, and fourth were guys that if they won, they would have been in the playoffs. Justin Haley, sixth for Spire. BJ McLeod, ninth, despite 15 cars finishing on the lead lap.
0: That's how you know it's a messed up race when BJ McLeod finishes ninth.
1: There were only 50, The funny thing is there were only 15 cars that finished in the lead lap, so whatever big one there was, or whatever wrecks there were. Must have taken a lot of cars, but not like permanently taken them out. Cause only fifteen cars finished in the lead lap. I need to go back and watch that race. Maybe that's what I'll do tonight when I go to sleep. I often I will put on a YouTube video of an IndyCar or, or old cart race. Cart cart became carton you know well it was like open wheel split into cart and IndyCar, car or IRL back then and then they rejoined and formed uh IndyCar. But cart was the superior series for many years there from ninety six to like 0102. Um, so often I'll watch an old cart race or I'll watch an old NASCAR race uh, to try to fall asleep. So maybe I'll watch uh, last year's Daytona cutoff race to fall asleep tonight.
0: Yeah. Cause there were 31 cars that finished within three laps of the lead. So mm-hmm. or the lead lap. So I think you're, I think you're right. Um, like one last late wreck and, Something like that. I don't know.
1: Yeah, I'll watch it back, anyway. But I just don't remember it. <laughs>
0: nope. Nope. All right. That's going to do it for us this week. And then we get to start talking about the playoffs next week with Darlington. Does that open the first round? Uh, yes. Yeah. Southern 500, Darlington. There we go. Darlington, Kansas, Bristol.
1: Man, that first Darlington race was a doozy. We're not going to go into that. That's next week. But that first Darlington race was a doozy. I, I think it's going to be. Uh, it's going to be
0: interesting. It's also going to be an extra hundred miles from oh, the baby. first race. Oh so, baby! Yeah, that uh, uh, and like you said, we're not talking about Darlington, but that first Darlington race—that's when Larson was super fast, wasn't it?
1: Larson and Chastain are the two best. Yeah, easily. And then they both wrecked.
0: Yep. That was a fun day. That was. But yeah, good luck to everybody this week. Hopefully, if Nick or I do not win the 100000 someone listening to this podcast does. And if so, let us know, as always. Hopefully, uh, yeah, yeah.
1: Hopefully, it's the field winning, and, and I win ten grand or something as well.
0: That would be fun as well.
1: So even having to win the 100000 I still have that.
0: <laughs> yeah. That's gonna do it. Or you could win both.
1: That's right. Absolutely. And uh by the way, who's your random fantasy driver? We didn't touch on that real quick.
0: Uh my fan random fantasy driver after getting um Tyler Reddick at Watkins Glen last week, I got Justin Haley here at Daytona. Woo! So I might get I might get two good finishes in a row.
1: You might. Let's go. All right. Anyway. I <laughs> just wanted to get that yeah. in there because uh, I was just thinking yeah. about Truex being dock blocked.
0: Yeah. I I should bet on him for Jordan Jinx, but we'll see. That'd be hilarious. Anyway, good luck. That's going to do it for us. Thanks for listening. Talk to you guys next week.